Oh, and you missed Catwoman 14, Dane. Oh, <laughs> how could I? Did you guys get that? Because I, I know, I think Dane said he was dropping the book at 13. Yeah, I got it. Mainly for the family, family tie-in. But yeah. Even that didn't make it worth it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm not missing anything, am I? No, you're not. Oh, no. It was a train wreck, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about it. <laughs> it actually had the, the, the phrase in it. Catwoman actually said to Joker, you just want to be Batman's biatch. <laughs> and said it that way to biatch. I, was, I, could, I could not believe Like, oh, this is like a new low of comics. <laughs> biatch. Hey everybody, it's another Batfans podcast, brought to you by the the thebatmanuniverse.net. This is the Batfans podcast because we couldn't think of another name, right Tim? No matter how hard we tried. We tried so hard. You know what, we're fans, we like Batman. Batfans. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's why we should be like, um, like Aqua Team. Yeah, they change their name like every year. Do they? Okay. Yeah, so we're coming up on a new year, so I think we should be like Bat fans um, without pants or something. Something <laughs> <laughs> like, just random. <laughs> Bat <There> fans <laughs> invasion. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so next year we're gonna be the Bat fans podcast without pants. Um, I'm gonna ask Justin to change our iTunes feed and. Um, He's gonna start referring us to. He's gonna start referring us to us as the Bat Fans Podcast without pants. All that work he's gonna have to do just for the change of a <laughs> <laughs> for some random reason because we picked the crappiest name that we could ever think of. <laughs> but we have Tim with us. Tim, how's it going? It's going good. Yeah, this this is episode number eighteen. Our graduation. Oh episode. right, <laughs> right. I forgot to. Do. Did I say that? I didn't say that, did I? No, you didn't. No, my bad. <laughs> I got your back, so that's why I meant <laughs> so, so we've hopefully graduated from high school. We got enough credits. Yep, we didn't fall behind. We made it. <laughs> we don't have yeah, to go we to made it. school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God. That'd be embarrassing. Um, let's see, what else can we do? Oh, we, we we can work at a bar, but we can't drink. We can just work there, right? I'll do the bar back, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we can, and um, hmm. we can, we can get into a club, but they'll put a big black X on your oh, hands. Oh, right, so, yeah. right. <laughs> oh, we can also vote. We can vote, and we can be drafted. So if they ever bring the draft back in, there's a board. The Bat Fans podcast goes or <laughs> serve our country. <laughs> um, yeah, but we we have tennis with us as always. Back again. Yep, been at the computer nonstop for two weeks waiting. Yeah. So the countdown <laughs> clock went to zero. I'm here, and then we'll start all over again. What's yeah? So have your students um, start, or ha- have you put it on your students to call you Mr. McGinnis? 
I'll just go straight and have him call me Batman. I uh, yeah. took one. Yeah, I took a kid, hung him outside the window, and I was like, <laughs> I'm Batman. <laughs> Don't swear to God, swear to me. <laughs> That'll get him in line. Yeah. <laughs> It's part. Do you give them part of their homework assignment to listen to the podcast? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but uh, there is a lot of Batman stuff all over my classroom. So oh, nice. <laughs> I, I would never want to leave the what is it, the fifth grade or the sixth grade? Sixth grade, here. yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of comics too for them to read too. So. Oh. <laughs> they keep failing, getting bad grades, just so they can repeat the sixth grade over yeah. and over, so they don't have to leave. Read comics. I, I'm not through Nightfall yet. I gotta, gotta go. <laughs> um, but Terrence, you said that you, you you had your family listen to to the podcast. How did how did that go? Did do they think you've made the worst decision in your life? <laughs> no, it was actually pretty funny. I we were driving somewhere, and so I put it on on the radio. And uh, I have a seven-year-old stepdaughter and an eleven-year-old, and the seven-year-old thought I was like famous. Now she's like, you're, she kept saying, "You're famous, you're famous." And then uh, when the uh, intro music came on, that blew their mind. They were like, "Oh my God, there's music here! This is like a real thing." And then, uh, but then it was funny because when we recorded it, it was the the uh, podcast where all we did was talk about Star Wars. And I was like, yeah, no one would mind. That Star Wars is awesome. Well, they might. They kept complaining the whole time. Why are you talking about Star Wars? Why is this Star Wars? I thought this was about Batman. And I was like, yeah, my whole family's giving me grief. It's pretty fun. And then it was also funny because they could not tell the difference between any of our voices. I thought for sure. Really? No. Yeah, and every time like someone would talk, he's like, is that you? Is that no? And then my one step started calling Dane Dan. So like Tim would be talking. and like, is that you? And they're like, no, that's Dan. No, it's name's Dane, so it was kind of funny. We got through about a, a half hour of it, and uh, it was it was pretty funny. And then my wife at the end of it, she's just like, yeah, I didn't understand a word you guys were saying. <laughs> All the Star Wars talk. Oh, that's awesome. But it was kind of cool to be driving, you know, in the car. And here, I, I don't know, like... Um, is if it's kind of self-centered or not, but it's weird to listen to a podcast that you're on, like while you're out and about and stuff. So, yeah. well, don't let all this newfound fame go to your head, Terrence. <laughs> I know, it's great. All the all the fan mail, the groupies, the people hounding me, paparazzi. I'll, it's been rough, but I'm I'm dealing. Yeah. Welcome to the world of podcasting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, at least they they listen to it. I guess you could say yeah. at least that's two more listeners that we have on yeah. top of our three. So yeah, turns. No problem. I'm, little by little, I'll get it. I'll force somebody to listen to it each week. I'll I'll offer rides to people and just put it on. <laughs> yeah, but you said you had a funny story about podcast too, Dane. Did you have something or? Oh no no my. Uh... My funny story was uh, meeting Mr. Sting Mystique. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, um, should have told her about the podcast. <laughs> she be like, "What the hell is a podcast? And why would yeah. I listen to a podcast when I'm making millions of dollars? Um, what other movies has she been in besides all uh, the Hunger Games and that's First all, Class? That's all I know her from. Yeah, I don't know. The first time I think I saw her was in First Class. If she did something, I don't know about it. Let me check really quick. No, no, never mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want to get us get sucked into that. But um, yeah, speaking of movies and uh, movies that we actually have seen, uh, Mystique in or what am I talking about? Wow. 
I think you're trying to go into the Dark Knight Rises, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mystique was not in that movie. <laughs> I know, she wasn't in that movie. I'm She's in the extended cut, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of Anne Hathaway for some reason. <laughs> it's okay, you're still sick, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Tim came up with a good topic. Um, our favorite moments from the Dark Knight trilogy. We're going to keep it up to three, right, Tim? Yes, even though it can be <laughs> 10, 20, 50, even. <laughs> Out of the whole right. trilogy, we're going to narrow it down to our top three, which may be hard for some people to do, but I think I was able to narrow mine down pretty good that I would definitely know these are my three favorite scenes out of the whole trilogy. How about you guys? Was it pretty hard? <laughs> yeah, incredibly difficult. <laughs> so why don't you go first, man? All right. Well, I, I actually, you probably are going to kick me off the podcast for this, but when Batman Begins was coming out, I had almost no interest in seeing it. Uh, Batman and Robin have been so bad, and um, I just kind of lost so so much interest. And the the buzz on Batman Begins was that it was actually going to be a prequel to um, like the Tim Burton films. Oh, yeah, so I, I was that too. yeah, and that's I don't know if that was like intentionally put out there so people could grasp the concept, or if it was just misinterpreted because there were so so many prequels coming out at the time and the Star Wars prequels were such a big hit or you know if that was just a, a mistake or their original idea but I had no interest in seeing a prequel to Batman and Robin and all that um, and my one of my friends um, went and saw the movie and called me up he's like no you got to see it it's it's really good it's really believable so I went to see it and just so my first favorite scene would be that scene where Bruce is like climbing the mountain with the blue flower and he's like all wrapped up and um and I, I guess he's supposed to be in Tibet or China somewhere and like just as I was watching it I knew that was like right out of the comic and right out of everything I loved about Batman and that this was going to be really good and really um the kind of Batman movie I was looking for and I think of of the three Batman Begins might might be my favorites I don't know I, it goes back and forth um my second favorite moment was um, the Joker's magic trick with the pencil, even though that's like a little moment. Just when I went to see The Dark Knight, I, I, I was really into it. I couldn't wait. I was like, this is really great. And then when he does that magic trick, it just took it to a whole new level. It was just, this is, it, it just, that was, I think, the starting point for me where, like, this is just something we've never seen before with the Joker, and this is going to be something that we're going to remember for a long time. And then... um I'm kind of going not in in ranking order, but in sequential order. Um, this is another one. This is a, kind of a littler moment. I guess it's more of like the the subtle moments. But in at the end of the Dark Knight, the um, when he turns his eyes white, that just blew me away because um, I've always loved Batman's white eyes in the yeah. comics, and one of the greatest things of the, the animated series. And kind of Norm Beoglefree's run on the art was how they would change the eyes, even though it's impossible, I think, for the the eyes to change shape like that. It didn't matter. It was really cool for the um, animated series, and it showed a lot of expression in those eyes. And I I just thought I'd never see the white eyes in a movie. And so when that happened, and his eyes went white, and in the Nolan movie, I was just um, I was like jumping out of my seat for that. So. Uh, I think those, even though those are a little bit smaller moments, not the big, huge plot points, as a as a huge Batman geek and a huge Batman fan, those were like the three 
I think moments, I mean, I could go on all day and give moment after moment, but, uh, those are the three that really responded to me as being a huge Batman fan and reading Batman comics for decades. And, you know, those, I think, touched, you know, um, a nerve in me more than some of the others, uh, cause it was really, a um, a really a tribute and a respect for the comics. A lot of the other movies kind of, uh, you know, they kind of ignore the comics a bit or, you know, like downplay it or, or look down on it. And this really respected the comics. I mean, even in the, the first Tim Burton film, there was so much change from the comics. And I still remember going to see it. I was I just finished ninth grade and it comes up. And I think it says in the beginning, like Batman from DC's magazines or so. It doesn't even say comic books. It says like magazines. And I was like, oh, it's comic books. So, um. <laughs> Uh, those were those were my three. So, but like I said, I could have a thousand of them. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure there's not going to be a bad choice that any of us makes. Or yeah, pretty great ones like the pencil trick too. Like that was one that it's a great scene. But when I was thinking over the ones I would pick, that one didn't even come to mind. But then when you mentioned like, oh yeah, there's another great one. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's. I went to a screening of The Dark Knight where the audience didn't cheer when that happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the audience reaction when I saw it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of weird, like, you know, you're cheering a villain killing somebody, but it's the Joker, <laughs> yeah. and it does it so well. Like, you can't help but cheer. Yeah, and just the way he's ending, he's like, it's gone. Like, at the end, it, it's so perfect. Yeah. And what were yours, Tim? Yeah, so for me, number three would be from Batman Begins, the scene where Batman interrogates Flash. I remember seeing that when I first saw that, I was like, yes, this is the Batman I've been waiting to see forever on the screen. I mean, in the first... Uh, Burton and Schumacher films. We've never seen Batman really interrogate anybody. And then just the way he did it, or getting him on the rope, hanging him upside down, and just screaming at him. And the dialogue, he said, like, swear to me, do I look like a cop? It's like, yes, that's Batman. I can't believe I'm actually seeing this. Like, it took him years to do it, but I'm finally getting the right Batman on screen. So I had, like, the biggest smile on my face when I first saw that for the first time. (laughs) Yeah, I had the same exact reaction. (laughs) I was, like, pretty much seeing myself afterwards, like, Finally, like the general audience who aren't big Batman fans, this is they're finally seeing the Batman that all comic fans like, and like this is the reason why he's such a great character. So I just love that scene. And then second is going to be from Dark Knight Rises, the Bane and Batman fight. I mean, Dane, you know <laughs> from doing the podcast how much I've been looking forward to that moment and worrying if it's going to live up to the hype I'm building for it for myself, <laughs> or it's going to be like thirty seconds. Yep. <laughs> over. But yeah, it delivered big time. I mean, the fight in itself was good, but then when I saw it and heard Bane's dialogue that he had, it just made it even better. Saying the lines like, the shadows betray you, and I was born in the darkness, and the shadows belong to me now. And then when he said the line, um, I will break you, I was like, oh man, that just made it. Like, you can't get any better than this. But then it actually did. When we actually saw Bane lift up Batman and then slam his back on his knee right out of the pages of Nightfall, like, that blew me away because I was not expecting that at all. Was, when I saw it, I was like, oh, yes, this, this scene is awesome. They, I wanted them to do it, but I didn't expect them to go that way, and they did, and it just blew me away. So I kind of made, I wouldn't say made the whole movie for me, but it was like it delivered on the expectations I had for that scene. So it ranked it up pretty high on one of my favorite moments in the whole trilogy. It was just awesome. 
even though Batman lost, <laughs> but it's just still such a great scene. Yeah, yeah I, I just want to say I had the same reaction when when he lifted Batman up. I was jumping out of my seat. Yeah. My wife, who never read the comic, she she was with me. She's like, "What? Why she didn't get him? I'm like that's that's right out of Nightfall." And also, I I, I was just say I love to um in that fight scene, like you mentioned his dialogue. I love when he uh, Bane was saying some of the same dialogue that uh, Raz or Rasha Ghoul was yep. telling Batman in Batman Begins, and he's like theatrical. And then City on Initiative, uh, but but we're initiated, and you know, yeah. So that that's an awesome scene, a good pick. Yeah. yeah when that Blu-ray hits, like I almost wanted to just go straight to that scene instead of watching the movie from the beginning. But <laughs> yeah. I just can't wait to see it. And then my number one pick, I don't think it's gonna be too shocking to anyone, but the from the Dark Knight, the Joker Batman interrogation scene. I mean, it's probably one of my favorite Batman moments ever, and maybe one of my favorite movie moments ever. I mean, because it just perfectly shows why Batman and the Joker are the best hero and villain rivalry. I mean, the dialogue they say to each other, the way Batman <laughs> rubs up Joker, it's like, it just got it perfect. I mean, I just remember seeing that for the Dark Knight the first time in the Midnight Showing, just like, man, this, it's like almost an awe almost or amazing of how perfectly they're getting these two characters. I mean, this, that's the whole reason why we like Batman and the Joker is in that scene. The way Joker mocks Batman saying, Mocking him how he won't kill him, he has that rule, and how he has nothing, nothing to threaten him with, with all his strength, because he knows he won't kill him. The Joker's just laughing at him as he's getting pounded by Batman, Batman's screaming at him. And just, the whole atmosphere of that scene, too, is really great, how it begins, where you just see Joker's head in the dark when Gordon's talking to him, and then when Batman flips over Gordon, flips on the light, and just slams his head into the table, and then just the dialogue and interaction they have with each other, just, just amazing. I mean, I'm sure everyone has their own picks of their favorite moment, but I'm pretty sure that's probably high on a lot of people's list of favorite moments of the trilogy because I think that's just a flawless, perfect scene and good example of why we love these characters so much. Yeah, and that's actually my third favorite scene out of um, my top three because, I mean, it's like they're not really doing anything in that in that scene, but they're doing stuff. And, it's yeah, like you, you said, Tim, it's, it's amazing at and the weird thing about it too is um, th- there's so much escalation J- just in that one scene where you know it's Commissioner Gordon talking to the Joker, and then Batman comes in, and then Batman and Joker are talking, and then it involves it evolves into a fist fight, and then finally Joker tells you know Batman where Harvey Dent and uh, Rachel are, and then um, you know they all rush to go to go save Rachel and Harvey, and then yeah, that's another thing know, about it too. It's just a great Joker scheme or plan that he was uh, revealing in that sequence too, making him choose right, between his right. two friends. Like, that's the Joker right there. Yeah, and, uh, I don't know if you guys ever thought it was odd, but then um, you know when Batman breaks in, breaks down the door and he sees Harvey, uh-huh. even though he's going after Joker. Didn't you think it was per- like the perfect uh, build up? Where it was like no music and it was only Harvey just screaming no. Yeah, I I just thought that was perfect. Yeah, but yeah, and and the explosion too like cuts Rachel off like right in mid sentence like she doesn't even get the last word out. I thought that I, I've never yeah. seen that in a movie. Other movies would have her finish the last word or uh, so it was like unexpected when it exploded because I was waiting for her to finish her sentence and she yeah. she doesn't. <laughs> yeah, and the thing too is like you, you almost forget about it too. Not because um, you totally forget about the Joker scheme, but it's um, you think either Bruce is going to get there or Gordon's going to get there in time and save her. And then 
I don't know. It, it's just played so well. I, that scene is like perfect. But um, my my second favorite scene is every scene with Liam Neeson in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that guy is amazing. I I love Liam Neeson. I mean, especially that one scene in Batman Begins where um, they're they're at that Wayne uh, party or whatever you want to call it, and then. Uh, uh, Liam Neeson kind of reveals that he's he's Ra's al Ghul, and he says something like, "Or is Ra's al Ghul immortal?" And then you're like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah." You kind of knew it was coming, but then the reveal is just amazing. I just thought that was great writing. Um, Can I ask you? So, did you know he was Ra's al Ghul uh, right from the start, or when when did you figure it out the first time you saw the movie? Because I didn't figure it out all the, until he came to the party at the end there. I don't know, for some reason, like, I had it in my head for a little bit that I was like, Ra's al Ghul was never Asian, like, full-on Asian. So mm-hmm. that, that that's kind of an odd choice, but, but whatever. And then as the movie went on, I was kind of like, they're, they're not going to have a big name like Liam Neeson and just kill him off in, like, the first, what, 30, 40 minutes of the movie? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, but maybe they're brave enough because they had Morgan Freeman in a li- limited role. Um, but then I was like, yeah, I- I'm pretty sure Liam Neeson is Ra's al Ghul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I had that experience like you guys because I spoiled myself on that <laughs> before the movie came out. <laughs> but when I read it on the forum, I was like, oh, man, what a cool twist. And then I remember reading that and then looked at a picture of Liam Neeson from Batman Begins and go, yeah, if you look at him, he does have the Ra's al Ghul mustache and goatee. Like, yeah, he looks like almost like a perfect Ra's al Ghul. But yeah. I'm sure it would have been a much better experience for me if I actually found out as I was watching the movie. But... <laughs> All right, and my my number one. I mean, I I don't know why. I mean, this 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 scene had a great effect on me. Is when um you know in the Dark Knight Rises when Bruce is climbing out of the the well mm-hmm. or the the prison. I don't know. I, I I just love that scene for some reason. I I think that's one of the best scenes um in the trilogy. I mean, I don't know why. I don't <laughs> I don't have a reason for it. It's just like the music. Yeah. Um, you know the uh. Uh, Bruce failing like like twice I think he he failed before doing it without the rope and you know him climbing up and the the prisoners chanting and that that blind doctor guy you know um, I don't I, I don't know what he was saying but but he he was doing something and I don't know it it, it was just the perfect scene and, and 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 to see a hero reach reach his lowest point and then. Um, find his footing again is is amazing. Yeah, and then too, a part I really liked of that sequence that was when he's going up the the hole of the pit and then those bats fly out and, this, and then the music chimes in with Batman's theme. It was like, yeah, that's, right, that's like, yeah. that really helped make it a pretty cool sequence. That's probably my favorite scene out of the entire trilogy. Right, so one question I had kind of with the Joker the pencil thing. I heard a lot of people who've seen the movie had their audience cheer when Bruce made the jump and he succeeded, but all the screens I went to Nobody cheered or anything. Did you guys have that when you saw it? Actually, you guys are going to hate this. The first time I went to see it, I started opening weekend with my wife. And that I, I just kind of knew I could see it coming that, oh, he's going to do it without the rope and get out. So that was a, the moment I picked to go use the bathroom. <laughs> so I missed it the first time. And then the second time I saw it, uh, I saw it like on a um, 
like a weekday afternoon and there was only like six or seven people oh, in the okay. whole theater. So <laughs> they might have been cheering, I don't know, or they might have been cheering for me leaving. So. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, it was more like, a, finally, we're, you know, he, he got out of that prison and he's going to, you know, rescue Gotham again. And it's, it was a great feeling that, that first time that I saw it. Um, was there any other scenes you guys wanted to talk about? Or <laughs> well, I, had a, I had a quick question for you guys. In the interrogation scene, since that was Tim's top and your third, and that was definitely, if I want more bigger scenes, that would be on my top. And um, I just to say, sometimes I, cause I'll, lis- I'll just listen to that scene because I have it on my um, you know, um, iPhone. So I just, I'll play the movie and won't even watch it, just listen to that scene. And it's just amazing, even like as a radio drama. Yeah. But, um, I, the thing I love about it is it's like the Joker, not only is he like the great, um, opponent of the Batman, he, in that, in that scene, he's ahead of the Batman. Like he's one step ahead of him on every answer, every question. You know, Batman's asking questions and the Joker like knows the answer ahead of time. And he's, and like, you know, there's a, why would, why do you want to kill me? And the Joker just laughs like, I don't want to kill you. You complete me, you know, and, um, the deep, but do you find yourself agreeing with Batman or do you find yourself agreeing with the Joker? Cause the first time I saw it and every time after, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, the Joker's right when he's talking. He says like these people, their, their morals are a bad joke. You know, they'll drop them at the first sign of trouble. And I'm like, yeah, he's right. I, I always side with the Joker, strangely enough, in the, in the arguments. Do you guys find yourself doing that too? Or is it, or you think I'm crazy? <laughs> no, that's a good point. That's like part of the reason why it makes it such a great sequence because what Joker is saying is true. Like, like I said, they'll, they only use Batman as long as they need him and they'll drop him at the sign of trouble. Yeah, he says, when the chips are down, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. Yep. <laughs> I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. Yeah, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, he's right. Yeah. So, And I guess Nolan tried to prove that he's wrong with the scene with the ferry boats and that they don't, you know, do the detonators. But that that's one scene that I've always thought, like, ah, I don't know about that. I think somebody might have. Pull the. I think one. I, I think if you took all the people out of a prison and put them on a boat, one of them might pull the trigger, or you know, somebody else on the ferry might pull the trigger. But maybe I'm just a cynic. No, uh, yeah, I kind of. If there's maybe one weak sequence in the dark, and I, it might be the ferry sequence. Maybe went on a little too long. I mm-hmm. thought the whole thing with the prisoner taking the detonator and tossing it out the boat was a, a little corny and like kind of. I don't want to say. Like cheese ball moment, but this is the kind of thing like that probably wouldn't happen, and they're just kind of doing that to show that not every criminal, or whatever, is bad, and some are willing to do the right thing. But it's like eh, could have done without it. Yeah, I agree. But it's cool we all have different choices for our top moments. I was kind of expecting us to overlap each other, all have the same number one. <laughs> yeah. But, well, I, I try to go a little different. Hey, uh, I also want to ask you. Um, what is what scene are you most looking forward to seeing on Blu-ray? Because I'll tell you, mine, and I, I could be completely wrong, so you might listen to this podcast in a week and think I was ridiculous. But the one scene where um, Robin or what, what's it, John Blake? Is that that was his name, right? His he hands a um, a note like to uh, the guys through the sewer, and the guy opens it up, and I could swear when I saw it on the the IMAX, but it's only up for a second that at the bottom of the letter, you, you're seeing it like from behind, but it looks like he signed it Robin. 
And I've and I've been dying to get it on Blu-ray and pause it and see whether that actually says Robin there at the end or that was my imagination. Because the first time I saw it, I didn't even catch it. I had no idea he was Robin at the end. I had no, you know, I wasn't even looking for it. The second time, I was kind of looking to see if there were any clues or anything, or you know, I was more conscious of it. And I, I swear that letter at the end said Robin, but I I could be just that I could have just been delusional or something, something in my popcorn that day. <laughs> so, but that that's the scene as odd as. It, it is <laughs> the guy in the sewer reading a letter. That's what I'm most looking forward to seeing. Well, now that you mentioned it, I'm definitely going to check that out because <laughs> I yeah. haven't heard anything about that, but now I'm definitely curious to see if that's true or not. And it, it, it flashes for just a second, too, so you, that you really have to have it at home and pause it to see it. Yeah, making this Blu-ray as clear as you can get, you can hopefully make it out. Yeah. But yeah, for me, like I said earlier, the Bane Batman fight. I just can't wait to see that on my big screen TV and the surround sound, hearing those punches fly off. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I can't even wait to hear it. Especially that one moment where like you hear like a swoop like sound as uh, Bane kind of does that. They feel that one shot in the trailer where Bane does like a little jump flip and punches Batman. There's like mm-hmm. a cool like, like swoosh sound that goes. It was like real, sounded really cool in the theater. I can't wait to hear that on the Blu-ray. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah, I'm with you, Tim. I want to see that Bane Batman fight. <laughs> Again, both of them actually. The the one in the sewer and yeah. the the one in the footsteps of the courthouse. Yeah, it's not as long, but it was still a pretty cool fight. I, I wish it was longer. Yeah. <laughs> I was just say I have you guys to thank for me getting the the Blu-ray next week because uh, my wife had said she's like, yeah, don't buy the Batman Blu-ray because I'm going to give it to you for Christmas. So I was like, oh, okay, but I got to wait all the way to Christmas. <laughs> so then like last week, I'm like, I have to get it. I, I got to get it because of the podcast. I got to get it. For, and she's like, oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so we come around. I'm not getting Spider-Man until Christmas, but I, I can I can wait till Spy- on Spider-Man. But Blu-ray, Dark Knight Rises, I'll be getting that first day it comes out. Is it a given that you guys are are, are just going to get the Blu-ray like sh- straight off the bat on December 4th? Oh, yeah, hands down for me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm going to have to, because I know there's all those different like editions they're putting out. I think I'm just going to go with the one at Best Buy that has the statue of the cracked Batman cowl on there. And don't forget, too, they're still planning to have the Ultimate uh, Trilogy box that come out sometime in 2013, which should have some extra stuff on there, which I'm still curious to see what actually they're going to put on there. But Yeah, I know. It, it almost makes me want to hold off on buying the Blu-ray. Well, I mean, maybe get the digital download, but... That's true. But, um... Because they're also coming out with the trilogy box set on December right. 4th, too. I, I think you should definitely hold off if you're going to get the trilogy box. I would just wait for the Ultimate Edition one, but... I think there's yeah. rumors going around that the Ultimate one might actually have commentaries on there, which I hope is true, because that'd be awesome. Now. I'm still not getting my hopes up for any deleted scenes or Extended scenes, though. <laughs> Can you hear the, me? Uh, yeah. Okay, I know. My wife, this guy at my wife's work, is uh, he's building a charging station uh, out of a Batmobile, and so she just came in to tell me. She, she's like, I need the name of your podcast. He wants to listen to it. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. But um, the uh, see, my wife, she, she got me The Dark Knight for Christmas when that came out, and she got the uh, – the one that's like uh, the mask, the cow. Uh, I mean, the, the cow of uh, Batman. Uh, that I think was you can only get at Target. So she she done. Best Buy. Oh, was that Best Buy? Yeah. yeah. And so um, and I don't I don't see that anywhere ever. So uh, but I think the one I think Target's got like the broken mask for sale. So I'm I'm going to try to get that one. But do you know is that a Best Buy only or is I that think Target? that one's Best Buy. Okay. 
So I'll be going to Best Buy on the 4th then. <laughs> yeah, like on Monday the 3rd, we got to make sure what stores has what so we go to the right place and get it before <laughs> yeah. they get sold out. But yeah, I can't wait to finally watch all of them. I don't know back-to-back, but <laughs> maybe I would like one day to watch them all back-to-back, but that's it's kind of hard with my schedule, but maybe a day apart from each other. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be great. I still haven't even watched all the Star Wars movies back-to-back, which I've been wanting to do for years. <laughs> you know what that means, Tim? I'm not I mean, a fan. you're not a hardcore <laughs> Star <Wars>. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's... It's crazy. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a hardcore Star Wars fan, but um, staying up till 2 in the morning on a work day, um, wondering about Kira Knightley's (laughs) filmography, (laughs) (laughs) is like, that's that's crazy. Um, (laughs) I was like, yeah, she she was in Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah, she was in in Star Wars. She played um, Sabe. Um... Have I seen her in anything else? Okay, let me go on the IMDb and check out what movie she was in. It's like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen any of her other movies. You never saw Pirates? No. Okay, that's probably the only other big thing she's been in, I think. And I haven't seen uh, Pride and Prejudice or Anna Karenina. What? <laughs> the worst for me is like a line of dialogue will pop in my head. And I can't place it. And I'm like, where was that from? Where was, and I'll start going through the movies, trying to find it and go through it. And then I'll, then it'll be from something completely different. Like, when did the Joker say that? You know. And then, was that in the animated series? And I'll break those out. And then like, and then I'll find out it was like from something just completely different. Like, oh, that was on Arrested Development or something. <laughs> you know. But that'll drive me nuts. That'll keep me up till like four in the morning thinking like that. So Terrence, when you're grading um, your your students' papers. If they get a perfect grade on on one of the papers, do do they get a Batman stamp? Oh no, I should though. Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, awesome. I know that pushed me to get better grades. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> got a Batman stamp coming. I gotta get it. Got ace this test. But uh, you know they get they get confused because I'll say things they have n- they don't understand because they'll hand me something really bad. I'm like this is crap. This looks like it was written by David Hine, and they're like, huh. <laughs> 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 this is the kind of crappy writing I'd expect out of Tony Daniels. <laughs> That's a great lesson for little kids. Yeah. Don't write something as crappy as David Hine or Tony Daniel. Otherwise, you'll be graded very crappily on a <laughs> yeah. Batman podcast. But yeah, it, was there anything you guys wanted to talk about about the um, the Dark Knight trilogy or the Dark Knight Rises Blu-ray or whatever? Uh, just that it's going to be great, like I said, having all of them to own that we could watch anytime. Probably it will be the best superhero trilogy for a long time. I don't think it's going to be dethroned anytime soon. And of course, after Star Wars saga, the best <laughs> second favorite saga oh, or trilogy afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll have my two favorite movie series complete that I can watch any time now. Of course, until 7, 8, and 9 come out, then my Star Wars saga won't be complete. But <laughs> until then, I'll have complete uh, sagas of all my favorite movies. <laughs> all right. So I guess we can get into some news, which is also Dark Knight Rises related. Um, first up, we have the early concept designs of Bane. And I have to say, I'm glad they went with what they went with because... 
I don't know, like, some of the other designs, I mean, it kind of looks like Bane got an octopus stuck on his face. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at it right now, you're right. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, Yeah, I thought some of them were pretty good, though. Mainly the first one was all black, and you have, like, those uh, tubes going in. But, yeah, I know what you're saying about when, like, this is a sketch drawing of the one that kind of looks like an octopus. (laughs) Then there's also that one that's kind of has more of the comic design, where it's blue on the bottom and white on top. I wonder how fast they were quickly to disregard that one. Well, I thought it was cool because it kind of showed a little of the evolution, how they yeah. were kind of working on it, how they, they got it down. And, and so that that was kind of cool to see how it went. And it was kind of cool to see how they started really with the base on the comics and then kind of minimalized it a little bit and made the breathing apparatus more of a feature on it. So, um, yeah, it was, it was cool to see. Hopefully the, the DVDs and the Blu-rays and stuff will have some more stuff like that behind the scenes on it. Yeah, and also on that shot, or like the pages that have all these photos of the concept designs, there's that one shot of Tom Hardy. I forgot he had all those tattoos on him. <laughs> I imagine seeing Bane in the movie where he had all these different style tattoos. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, what, did they use makeup to cover that? or? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they used a little CG to plot some of it out, I wonder. Yeah, I didn't even notice. Yeah. All right, so I guess we can move on to our next piece of news, which is that uh, Christopher Nolan talked about the Dark Knight Rises ending. He says that. What does he say, Tim? <laughs> oh wait, well, no, no. He says, uh, for me, the Dark Knight Rises is specifically and definitely the end of the Batman story, as I as I wanted to tell it. And the open-ended nature of the film is simply a very important thematic idea that we wanted to get into the movie, which is that Batman is a symbol. He can be anybody, and that and that was very important to us. Not every Batman fan will necessarily agree with that interpretation of the philosophy of the character, but for me, it all comes back to the scene between Bruce Wayne and Alfred in the private jet in Batman Begins were the only way that I could find to make a credible character characterization of a guy transforming himself into Batman is if it was in as a necessary symbol and he saw himself as a catalyst for change and therefore it was a temporary process. Maybe a five year plan that would be enforced for symbolically encouraging the good of Gotham to back their city. And then he goes on to say that, to me, for that mission to succeed, it has to end. So this is the ending for me. And as I say, the open-ended elements are all to do with the thematic idea that Batman was not important as a man. He's more than that. He's a symbol, and the symbol lives on. Yeah, so actually before we started recording, I was having a conversation with my brother about this whole topic. He was kind of mad a little bit about what Christopher Nolan was saying, because he was saying how, to him, Bruce Wayne is really can be the only Batman, and that the fact that uh, he's just uh, inspiring people to take on the Batman as a symbol is something that he did, that didn't sit well with him. Where it's just he's my Bruce Wayne should be the only Batman because he has all this training. He's the only one who can do it. And while I do agree that my preferred Batman is the one is Bruce Wayne and who takes on this uh, war on crime because of his parents' murder and vows to never have that happen to anyone else. I understand that from Batman Begins, we kind of knew what Chris Nolan was, what he was doing is going to be different and not kind of the Batman we're familiar with was going about his mission. So the thing that kind of gets me is that all of a sudden people are getting surprised that or they didn't like Dark Knight Rises ending and how Batman was handled. But um, it was all laid out 
from what Christopher Nolan said in the Batman Begins and the plane sequence with Alfred, he says, like he said in the interview, to be a symbol to inspire people, Batman can be everlasting. So it was, he made it pretty clear early on that Bruce Wayne wasn't in this for the long run. He wanted an end period, which, um, like I said, is not necessarily Batman. That's my favorite. But in the story that Christopher Nolan told, I thought it worked good. And that I'm kind of surprised that everyone's having this big, Shocker complaining about the Dark Knight Rises and how it ended because Bruce Wayne's no longer Batman and he's leaving the legacy on to someone else, which was kind of the whole point when you think about it from Batman Begins. So, but I think the thing was pretty cool to no one kind of say, I, I agree there's going to be some people who aren't going to like this interpretation that I did, but this is how I liked it. At least he's not saying, well, this is what I created and if you don't like it, you don't have to watch it or anything like that. He, he gets it that what he did is going to cause some controversy, but. In the end, he still made three great movies, and even though Batman's motivation is different, I mean, he still got the core essence of the character down pretty much right. So, I don't know. That's just something that I'm just kind of surprised that everyone's kind of having this big shock or wasn't expecting this way for Batman to be treated, but he did lay it out from the beginning. Yeah, and you know what, Tim? What? Uh, two things first. First first off, I need to change my number one because it – it's a scene from The Dark Knight Rises that, <laughs> that I keep on forgetting that that's one of the most poignant scenes of of the three movies is the scene where uh, Batman reveals himself to Gordon. And he says that, like, you know, Batman can be anybody. He can be, you know, a, a guy who put a coat around a child to let him know that the world would never end. So that's my number one scene. That was a great moment where he reveals himself to Gordon, yeah. <laughs> right. And number two. Yes. Um, I forgot my number two. <laughs> <laughs> Your number uh, one was just so important that it knocked your second point out. <laughs> yeah. You know, if it makes you feel better, I wrote down my top eight, and then when you guys said top three, I was like, all right, got to get rid of five of these here. <laughs> so And I got rid of the interrogation scene because I'm like, well, one of them is going to say that one, so I'll, that one can go. So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, Going back to the point of what Christopher Nolan's interview, did that catch you guys by surprise at all as far as the way Batman was handled in Dark Knight Rises? and Or kind of like I said, you kind of knew that going in because of how he was handled in Batman Begins of the Dark Knight. Yeah, I felt it, it stayed true to what he first did in Batman Begins and right there on the plane when he says that Batman would be everlasting. And, I mean, the people who seem to have a problem with it are the people who are expecting the comic book to come out every month or five yeah. comics to come out every month and, you know, the TV show to come on every week. You know, it's a movie. It can't, it has to end sometime. Um, you know, he, and I'm glad he ended it on his terms and didn't have some other director take it over and then have Batman, you know, run around with a bomb or have nipples on his costume or <laughs> something just ridiculous and ruin it. Um, and I, I had my ideal ending, but I always felt I don't care what the ending is, just as long as it's not an Inception ending, where it's <laughs> like, oh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, you don't know. And so I thought for sure he was going to do that at the end. I thought for sure you were going to see Alfred, and he was going to look up, and he was going to smile, and then you never knew if it was actually Bruce Wayne sitting there or not. And then when they actually showed Bruce Wayne, I was like, all right, at, at least it's a definitive ending. Yeah. you know. Uh, but then he did leave a little to the imagination with the whole Robin character and, you know, is he going to be Nightwing? Is he going to be Batman? Is he going to be Robin? It left, you know, people could interpret it on their, their own. Um, 
and and take away a little bit of that with them. So I, I actually liked the ending. I thought it was really good for what it was, and no ending is going to satisfy everybody, but considering he stayed true to what he first said in the very first movie and that he he ended it on his terms and we don't have to worry about Joel Schumacher doing The Dark Knight <laughs> Part 4, you know, starring George Clooney or something like that, then uh, I'm happy with the ending. Yeah, I, I have no problem with the ending or Christopher Nolan's interpretation of Batman. But, but what I hate is, like, going to, like, these websites like IGN, websites like that, and seeing 10 things wrong with... Um, the Dark Knight Rises, or what we would would have liked to see in The Dark Knight Rises, or what Christopher Nolan could have done with The Dark Knight Rises or The Dark Knight Trilogy. I mean, this doesn't happen to that that new Spider-Man movie or the yeah. Avengers movie. Yeah. So, so, so why does it why does it happen to Dark Knight Rises? I don't get that. I know it did surprise me too that there was so much. I mean, out of all the Batman or Nolan's Batman movies, Dark Knight Rises is the one that most Fans are divided on, I think, mainly because of the ending and how Bruce Wayne was retired and then came back and all that. But, I mean, like I said before, I mean, I keep saying it, but he laid this out in the first two movies. I mean, Batman, he was ready to stop being Batman in the dark night when Harvey Dent was uh, running for district, was district attorney, and that gave Bruce hope that the city can be left in his hands. He was ready to do it then, and no one seemed mm-hmm. to have a problem with that. And like I said before, too, I mean, that's not my particular favorite interpretation of Batman. I prefer the one that's always out on the mission, and he's always going to be Batman for as long as he can. Nothing's going to stop him. But in the confines of these movies, I thought it worked really well. And then just some people just got disappointed with how Dark Knight Rises ended. And I get what you're saying and how you don't get why so many people would want to focus on the negative points and try to, (laughs) instead of wasting their time kind of just thinking of what they didn't like, how about maybe what was good about the movie because there were a lot of great things about the movie. I mean, if the certain story points weren't necessarily what you wanted to see, but yeah. Yep. Uh, as I say, a lot of people make so much out of him taking those eight years off. Yeah. The way I look at it, you were getting two and a half hours of Batman in the first movie, two and a half hours of Batman in the second and two and a half hours in the third movie. And that's what we're getting. Whether they say he took eight years off or 10 years off or 12 years off, it doesn't change how much Batman you're getting in the movie. So it doesn't really matter. And, and at the end, whether he, goes on fighting forever or retires. We're not getting any more. We're not seeing Christian Bale anymore in the suit. So, you know, people, I, I, you know, I think they're just used to the comic book coming out every week and reading it and can't handle that. But the funniest one, if if you ever listen to uh, Kevin Smith, the fat man on Batman, (laughs) but he does some good interviews. The very first one he did on the Dark Knight Rises um, he loved it. He was crying, yeah. talking about him retiring. And he couldn't like hold it together. And uh, and then the next one, he did it with some guy who didn't like the movie. And then he's just bashing the movie, know, and yeah, making fun that. of it. And it's like talk about a, a one eighty on from week to week on that. So he usually does that a lot. I noticed when he talks about Star Wars, like in the prequels, he says, "Oh, I love them. I like how they are." George Lucas did a good job. And then somebody doesn't like it, he's all he starts trashing them too. So like yeah, he just goes who he's talking to. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, myself, I personally would have loved to see Nolan's movie end where Bruce was Batman. And you kind of get that classic Batman ending where like he's on the rooftop and he's ready to start the next mission. And yeah. just kind of having that idea in your head, yeah, he's still going to be around and who knows what villains he's going to face off in the future. At the same time, it doesn't. even though I didn't get that ending, it doesn't really necessarily ruin the movie or the trilogy 
for me anyway, that that's not the ending that I got because the stories that we did get were still pretty awesome. So try not to focus on what you didn't get, but the good stuff that we did get. <laughs> at least that's how I try to look at it. It kind of seems like people care more about what happens off screen than what yeah. happens on in the actual movie. It's, I don't know, it's just weird. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of so, disappointing when you go to these sites and it's like bashing on on The Dark Knight Rises, and it's like, come on, I mean, it was a good movie. Yeah, I do agree that there were some problems with it, but in the end, it was, a, it was an awesome movie. Yep. And I, just, I, I don't know, I just don't get it. But how would you like it if, instead of Christian Bale being Batman, Bruce Wayne, um, it was Heath Ledger? Now that story that came up took me by surprise. I never right. heard of that before, but right off the bat, I would say, uh, no, I can't see it. But at the same time, we said that about Heath Ledger when he was cast as the Joker. And <laughs> yeah, sure. Look at what he did, so I'm not putting anything past him that what he could have done is bad, and he probably could have done as good as a job as he did with the Joker. But Yeah, and so, so what do you guys think would have happened? I mean, we all know Heath Ledger died after The Dark Knight. What do you think... They, w- they would have done with the Dark Knight Rises. Do you think they would have even done it? You mean, That's a good point, yeah. You mean with, like, the characters we got or the story that we got or just with the Joker in it? No, no, I'm talking about if Heath Ledger was Bruce Wayne. Oh, for the whole trilogy, you mean? Yeah. Was, yeah, I don't I think that everything probably would have played out kind of similar, but I don't think we would have gotten the iconic Joker performance we would have gotten from someone else because right. I don't think anyone's going to replicate what Heath Ledger did with the Joker. So maybe that'd be the only difference where Joker's performance in The Dark Knight would have been as iconic as Heath's, Heath's was in, in the movie. So so what about The Dark Knight Rises, though? Let's say Heath Ledger was Bruce Wayne. Do you think they would have even attempted The Dark Knight Rises? Because we all know he died in, what, 2008? Yeah. Do you think they would, they would have even attempted to do The Dark Knight Rises? Wow, that's a that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, that is a good point. <laughs> because they, yeah. I I believe that the Dark Knight Rises was supposed to have, you know, an element of the Joker in it, and then when you know there was talk of recasting it, Nolan just wanted nothing to do with that, yeah. and just they rewrote it so that the Joker wasn't a part of it. Um, and but yeah, I don't know if they would have. I I think Nolan might have just walked away at that point. I mean, considering what a huge success he is and how successful inception was he can go do any movie he wants and he might have just might have just walked away but then like who would have i guess a lot would have been what kind of performance heath ledger gave and whether it was something someone could um copy because i thought when i heard this i kind of thought about it and i thought well he probably would have been a lot like christian bale his performance because it was the same script same director um and they were kind of kindred spirits that i know that from all the behind-the-scenes stuff, they were really good friends, and it, it, his death affected Christian Bale a lot. So, you know, I don't know if Christian Bale could have then maybe been Batman in the third movie, or maybe Christian Bale would have been the Joker, or who knows. But that that's a good question. I bet you Nolan probably doesn't even know himself what he would have done in that case. Yeah, and I find it interesting that, you know, when, when Nolan initially sat down with Heath Ledger to talk about... Uh, Heath playing Bruce Wayne, uh, Ledger said that he never could do this kind of film, but but when the time came to cast the Joker, 
um, he's warmed up to the part. Yeah, they even said that they offered him the role even before the script was finished. Right, right. Yeah. I guess Christopher Nolan really wanted to work with Keith yeah. Ledger for some reason. Yeah. He's a great actor. I mean, I don't blame Nolan. Now, I don't know if I've asked you guys this before. When you first found out Heath Ledger was cast as the Joker, what was your reaction? <laughs> was it like, oh, what are they doing? I can't see him as the Joker. Or are they just a wait-and-see attitude? I was shocked because I think the last thing I'd seen him in was like Brokeback Mountain, which is not very Jokerish, but um, I was such a huge fan of Batman Begins and Christopher Nolan, even for um, his other movies, Memento and uh, The Prestige, that I kind of had more of a wait and see attitude of like, all right, well, you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And then once, uh, you know, I started to see some of the clips emerge, then it was like, yeah, this is going to be good. But I still had a little bit of like hesitation until that pencil trick. Then it was like, oh yeah, this is <laughs> this is going to be a home run. Yeah, for me it was it was more of a I mean, it was kind of like Terrence where it was uh, I'm not really sure, but I I did see him and broke back in a couple of a couple of other movies and I was like, you know. Heath Ledger's kind of a good actor. Yeah, I'm ashamed to say that when I first found out about it, I wasn't too happy. I could not picture him as the Joker. And then some of the quotes he said, like how he's not even a big fan of comic books or comic book movies. I was like thinking to myself, well, he's not going to be right for the role. And then when I saw that first image of him with the the, the close-up with his makeup on, and I kind of found out it wasn't going to be the whole thing where his whole skin is going to be uh, white. It's going to be makeup. That didn't sit well to me at first. But then when I first saw the first trailer with the Joker actually in it, I kind of put all my fears aside. <laughs> so then, of course, when I saw the movie, that's when I said, I'll never doubt a casting choice that Chris Nolan makes again. <laughs> yeah. So when everything was announced with The Dark Knight Rises, I'm like, I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm sure it's going to be good, and I'm not going to, even if I don't like it, I'm going to wait until I actually see the movie to give my opinion on it, because I was dead wrong about Heath Ledger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be real interesting whenever they do the rebooted Batman franchise because you know they're going to want to do the Joker and whoever's yeah. going to fill that role in the shoes they have to fill living up to Heath Ledger's performance. Even though it's going to be entirely different, everyone's going to be comparing it to Heath Ledger's. So it should be interesting. Yeah, I wondered, like, because I'm, I'm not an actor. I've never done any acting or anything. But, like, if you're an actor and yeah, there's a great performance like that, are you just intimidated and too afraid to do it, or are you just like, yeah, I can't wait to do it and do my take on it, kind of like doing this is my version of Hamlet or this is my Macbeth or Doctor Who or some of those long-running roles, or are they just like, no way, I'm never touching that one? <laughs> yeah, I think the truly great actors are the ones that you described. Like, yeah, they can't wait to do it and take my own spin on it. I'm not going to even worry about Heath Ledger's performance. It's great, but that's his thing. I'm going to do my own interpretation of it. I think that's whoever has that attitude is going to give a good performance for it. Yeah. The next movie, they need to do something completely different and do like the Rastafarian Joker from The Batman and just uh, freak no. everybody out. <laughs> yeah. Hey! <laughs> With dreadlocks. A few dreadlocks and big bare feet. and Yeah. Doing all these crazy oh, hey. flips and yeah. acrobat moves. <laughs> and then the next guy can do a good performance. Yeah. <laughs> or... Or no, what they should do is they should uh, bring back the Scarecrow and and make him like the animated series Scarecrow, the the scary looking one. Yeah, I mean they're pretty close yeah. to Batman Begins, but right, right. he needed the noose around his neck and the hat. Then he would have been. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the one thing missing is the hat from Batman Begins. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, what do you guys think about this rumor of jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing Batman in Justice League? Yeah, for me, I mean, as much as I like John Blake slash Robin and Dark Knight Rises, and we even would be interested to see more stories of him after Dark Knight Rises, but to have him part of the new, like, Justice League team and the new, I guess they ever do the DC Universe online, on movies, that's something I don't think I want to see. If they're going to do that in the Justice League movie, I want to see Bruce Wayne as Batman, not a continuation of John Blake if he's going to be with Superman and all the rest of the Justice League. I just really can't see that happening. I mean, they already said, like his publicist or agent said, that's not true, but then again, you never know until anything's officially announced, so... Uh, that's really something I don't want to see. As much as I like the character in the movie, I don't want to see him with the Justice League as Batman. Right. And and do you guys think this, this Justice League movie is going to be good? I mean, I have a hard time seeing it as good. I mean, especially when it's going to come out the same year as Avengers. And they're, I mean, let's face it, they're, they're not going to escape the, the stigma of the Avengers. Nope. People are going to be like, this is going to be a copy of the Avengers. That's what people are going to say. Right. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. if it is really good, people, that's that's just going to be a knock on it for most people, probably. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just think this whole Justice League movie thing is. I mean, I, I don't want to say it's a bad idea, but it kind of feels like one. Yeah, you're just not getting any good vibes from what you're hearing about it. I mean, right. It's still real early in production, and they're still planning for that 2015 release date, which to me kind of makes it sound more like a reaction move than anything else instead of them really wanting to establish their own DC universe on film like Marvel did, but instead it just seems more like everything they're doing is a reaction to the success of the Avengers. Yeah, and Warner Brothers is really famous for saying things and then it never happening. So, um, or then it just happens a really, really long time later. Especially for Batman. (laughs) For Batman yeah, and the Catwoman movie, which was oh. going to come out with the, it was going to be Michelle Pfeiffer, and years and years you heard about this, and then all of a sudden it came out with Halle Berry and it was terrible, and um, Superman, there was a million Superman rumors and scripts, and even Kevin Smith wrote a script, and all, you know, Batman Superman movie, and so I kind of will believe it when I see it, when when there's when they start filming is when I'll believe it, and they haven't announced a director that I don't know where they are in the script. So until they start actually filming, then I'll I'll believe it. Or at least Marvel, you know, if they say it, it's coming out. It's going to be there. So yeah, I know. So far, the only thing they announced is a scriptwriter for the movie. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And I, I agree with Dane. This it does. It's starting to smell like a bad idea. And the whole Joseph Gordon-Levitt rumor. I wonder if he started it. You know, and uh, like his publicist or his people are kind of floating that idea out there because it'll be a huge payday for him if he did get the role. And it just kind of ups his star value. So I wouldn't be surprised if the rumor even came from, like, his camp or his people to put it out there. Um, It would be a safe bet because, you know, he's a good actor. And people have some recognition with him and Batman. And, you know, Dark Knight Rises made a billion dollars worldwide. So a billion dollars worth of ticket sales have seen him. um, And they could use him right away and maybe put him in a – I read a couple things. Maybe he might do a cameo in uh, Man of Steel, but we don't even know what Superman would be in Justice League because we've heard different um, reports saying that Man of Steel will be in its own continued uh, universe, and then others say that he'll be part of Justice League. So I just I don't know what's going on with it, and I don't think anyone at Warner Brothers does either. <laughs> yeah, and even in that rumor story, they're saying that 
he could be in a movie as Batman before Justice League comes out. And that seems pretty hard to believe because if they're planning Justice League for 2015, that means that that would have to come out 2014 and they'd have to start filming 2013. So this doesn't yeah. seem to all that out to add up. And then the whole thing, like the, the last Justice League movie they were supposed to make, that was really killed by uh, Christopher yeah. Nolan. And so I wonder what Nolan is thinking about this and how much he's involved with Warner Brothers and, you know, how much he's going to want or not want his story to continue from someone else with John Blake or would they have, would they, I wonder if they would pull the move, and I just thought of this, so uh, if they would have Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Justice League but have him as Bruce Wayne, like have it rebooted and restarted but have him as Bruce Wayne and just kind of, pretend like it's not the same actor in both movies, but it really is. And so that people have that recognition. I don't know if they would, would do that or not, but I, I wouldn't, you know, stranger things have happened in Hollywood. So. Yeah, but they're always fussy about having two characters, like, appear in two different things. Cause the whole thing with uh, Batman Begins coming out, everyone was always at wanting Bruce Wayne to be in Smallville. But they yeah. would say, well, he's coming in the movie soon. We don't want to confuse people about having a TV Bruce Wayne who's different from the movie, so we're not going to have him in that. Then I think if they do have Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Bruce Wayne in the Justice League movie, that's just going to confuse people even more. Yeah. And then even uh, the animated, I know uh, the Batman couldn't use Robin because he was in Teen Titans. From t- they had to wait till Teen Titans ended for him to be in it. In yeah. Even cartoons, yeah. Even villains, uh, Ra's al Ghul and... Scarecrow, because Batman Begins was coming out, they couldn't use them in the cartoon. That's right, yeah. I, that whole philosophy is just stupid to me. It's kind of like almost, this is almost like insulting people's intelligence. You don't think people are smart enough to figure out that these are two separate things? They yeah. can't distinguish a cartoon from a movie or a TV show from a movie? It's like, come on. Yeah. Okay, so Justice League 2015. Justin Bieber plays Bruce Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he can't because he's going to be in the the Star Wars. Uh, (laughs) There was actually a picture online of uh, Justin Bieber as Luke Skywalker. I think Zac Efron as Han Solo. Yeah, did you see that? Yeah, I just shook my head. I was like, oh man. Uh." Yeah, Zac Efron is playing Green Lantern. (laughs) Yeah, and um, the guy from Twilight is playing um, Clark. Taylor uh, Swift as Wonder Woman, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> It'll make a billion dollars. Well, originally Warner Brothers wanted Justin Timberlake for Green Lantern. It was like no. he was in the final three. Like, oh. he he couldn't have been any worse though. So you know, well, I thought Ronald Reynolds was fine, and it just the so material he had to work with wasn't that great. But yeah, <laughs> I think Justin Timberlake would have made it even worse. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Could have done a dance number on Oa, yeah. <laughs> like Spider-Man Three. <laughs> rip, rip off Kilowog's costume and like his breast comes out like Janet Jackson on the Super Bowl. <laughs> a ring malfunction. <laughs> yeah. Justin Timberlake is as Bruce Wayne. What do you think about that? If I don't want him as Green Lantern, how much more so? <laughs> I want him as Bruce Wayne. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. In all in all seriousness, I always think it's best when they go with complete unknowns. Like I'd never heard of Christian Bale before this. Yeah, Christopher true. Reeve was an unknown. Um, I mean, the only one I think that wasn't an unknown that I thought he was really good and it was um, Iron Man. 
Um, what's his face? I can't. I blanked on his name. Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, he was a pretty big name. But the other guys in the Avengers, I'd never heard of, um, except Captain America because he was in the Fantastic Four. But um, yeah. I, I I prefer to go with unknowns. Go with young actors who are going to take it serious and um, not worry about big. Whenever they go with big names, like George Clooney or you know, it's just uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's just it, it doesn't work out too well. No, like you're always seeing the actor instead of the character they're trying to portray, which could be kind of distracting from the character, like like you said. So I agree, it's probably better to go with unknowns. But then, like, I remember when Christian Bale was cast, I kind of looked at his filmography, what movies he's done. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, he was in that? Like, he's done movies, but you just never really recognized them before because it wasn't that big yet. Yeah, I mean, he's been around since he was a kid. Yeah, one, um <laughs> Yeah, and Henry V, the, the Shakespeare movie, he's like 12 in that, and I see that every now and again. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is Batman as a kid. <laughs> Don't go to the movies with your parents. <laughs> Stay home. You know what I was wondering is, like, uh, I wonder if, like, let's say they made another uh, Superman movie. Let's say they're not making Man of Steel. They're going into production on Man of Steel right now. And... um I wonder if Robert Downey Jr. could play Superman, or because he plays Iron Man, he couldn't. He couldn't play uh, Superman. Well, I don't think there's anything like contract-wise that will prohibit him from being able to take the part. But yeah, it goes back to the whole thing. You recognize him so much as Iron Man now that it would just be too distracting to see him as Superman, even if he did try oh, right. to do it totally different. You're probably just going to see this. You still see some Tony Stark in there. I don't know. He might have it in his con. Like they might have made him sign a contract not to do other superheroes. I, I, you know, I guess you'd have to see it. I know, like the uh, the guys who play Thor and Captain America, they sign like contracts to do nine movies. Yeah. With between the Avengers movies and their own movies and stuff. So those, some of those contracts are pretty long term. And I know Downey Jr. made a ton of money off uh, the Avengers. Yeah. I think he made like $60 million or something like that from it because he had a percentage of what it would make. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he took less money to originally with the – like he said, I'll take less money, but I'll ha- I'll take a percentage of what it makes. And then it <laughs> went made a billion and a half dollars. So he's sitting pretty. Yeah. Have you guys ever seen that first um, Captain America movie they made? <laughs> No, I see clips, but I'm yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Or how about that Fantastic Four movie that was never intended to be released? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> or even the the Fantastic Four movies that were released. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those movies suck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, those were bad. You know what I realized? Mitt Romney would make a good Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Look at his face yeah, and like, <laughs> like like his white hair. He has that white hair streaks. <laughs> That's what he should have read. If he would have like came out in the Fantastic Four suit, he probably would have won. Would have got the comic book fan vote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know his politics, and I don't care. <laughs> he's dressed as. Dressed oh. Looks like Reed Richards. I'm voting for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully he is that smart. <laughs> He could have got some guy dressed up like the thing to be his vice president. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, the the mystery of the Batwoman Blu-ray release has been announced, and yeah, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> yeah, this one actually kind of caught me off guard. I mean, there's other movies I definitely want to see released on Blu-ray before this one, like Mask of the Phantasm, maybe. 
the greatest animated Batman movie there is, or Sub-Zero even. Or like any episode from the animated yeah. series. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, have you guys seen that movie? I haven't seen it in a while. I saw it a few times when it first came out back in 03, but it, it's never been one of my favorites. Does yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. I mean, especially because, you know, I'm a Batwoman fan. <laughs> That's not what you yeah. this one. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it in a long time. Like, ever since it came out, I don't think I've seen it. Yeah, really, the only good thing about it is the end fight between Batman and Bane, which is pretty cool. Right. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while, but last night I popped it on cause I, for the podcast, and I actually didn't even watch any of the movie. But the DVD actually does have some good behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, they they kind of go – yeah, they go into, like, a lot of the making, a lot of the voice. And actually, I think – the DVD was the first time I ever saw Kevin Conroy, and, and I was like shocked, like, "Oh my God, that's the guy that does Batman!" <laughs> like, and then they show the guy who does Alfred, um, and uh, he actually looks like Alfred. I was like, yeah. "He should have played him in the movie. He looks just like." And um, so it had uh, some cool behind the scenes stuff, and it has a, a short, which I don't know much information about. I tried to look it up, look up some information on it. There wasn't much, but it's called Chase Me, and it's like Batman chasing the Catwoman. Um, all around Gotham, and there's no no dialogue and no sound effects. It's all just like um, kind of like jazzy samba music, uh. Uh, and it's it was really cool. I I kind of like that. It's it's only about seven minutes. It's a cool change of pace. It's got some really great artwork in it. So um, I'm not sure what the Blu-ray will have if it'll have anything additional to that. Um, but I actually like the movie a lot. I kind of like the design of Batwoman. Um, and it kind of uh, was a pretty good movie. And it had, um, I think for the first time, I don't know if they did it in the series. You'd know better than me, Tim. Batgirl was really, like, into and, um, or interested in Batman. She was flirting with him and calling him up, and Tim was kind of making fun of it. And I think that was the first time they kind of explored sort of Batgirl having a crush on Batman. And, and I guess because it was a movie, they took it a little more adult. Um, but... Um, yeah, actually, it was first hinted at in the Batman Beyond episode. That kind of okay. focused on the Barbara as a commissioner. She kind of revealed that her and Bruce had a relationship when they were younger. But it was never hinted at in the actual series. So since this movie kind of came out after Batman Beyond was in production already, they kind of went back and kind of explored that a little more just to kind of give a little to tie in, I guess, with the story they're doing in Batman Beyond. And uh, he has really blue eyes in this movie. And was that... I don't recall his eyes being that blue in the animated series. Did they change his eyes at some point in the series, or was that just for this movie? Or? Might just just been for the movie. Okay. Like I said, I don't remember in the series his eyes looking like that. But I'm probably am going to get the Blu-ray just because I want to have everything on Blu-ray that I can for Batman. So that'll probably be the first time I'll watch it again. We'll see if my opinion changes on it as much because I don't remember the whole whole movie. Just some key fight sequences and the actual plot of it, but like yeah. it wasn't horrible and bad where it's unwatchable it just like wasn't nothing great yeah do you notice much of a difference in the blu-ray between dvd on these animated films yeah i do okay because i haven't noticed too much of a difference on the animated films i do it on regular films but um well it's going to be interesting for this one because on the newer dc animated movies you can definitely tell a difference but since this one is um back in 03 i think it was released before yeah. we're getting hd releases so I'm curious to see how much that's going to be cleaned up for this one. Because I don't think any of the, like I said, they haven't with Phantasm and Sub-Zero, they haven't really released any of the old movies on Blu-ray. Yeah. Well, you know what? Actually, I take that back. They did release Return of the Joker on Blu-ray last year, and that did look really good. Okay, yeah, I don't have that. So. Yeah, I, 
pretty much it's always worth it on Blu-ray, too. I, I always tell a big difference. But um, also releasing with Mr. the Batwoman is uh, the Superman Brainiac Attacks, Brainiac Attacks movie, which is one that everyone should absolutely stay away from. It's okay. beyond that. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was about to say, like, I don't remember liking that at all. No, I, mean, I, I pretty like, much, like, you know, be like in anything in the DC animated universe. And even with the – this is taken from Superman the Animated Series, but it's just awful. All the characters are handled terribly, especially Luthor. I mean, Clancy Brown, who does his voice on the animated series, all the other movies, doesn't do his voice here. And it's just Oof. not his voice actors doesn't do a good job. And just the dialogue that he has is terrible. He's more of a, like a jokey like Luthor. And just, man, everything about it is horrible. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, was there anything else you guys wanted to talk about? Well, I was going to ask you. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, on merchandise news, I was going to ask you guys if um, you guys were getting anything or putting up any Christmas decorations Batman-themed or getting any Batman Christmas ornaments or anything like that. Yeah, it's funny. You actually um, you, you actually emailed us about that. But, like, I I just got the, um, the Dark Knight Rises Hallmark Christmas ornament. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's going on the tree this year. <laughs> Which one did, did you get? The Bat or... The uh, Batman. I got the Batman one where he's kind of like, uh, you know, crouched, it, it looks like. Mm-hmm. But what about you, Terry? Well, actually, my wife, even before I met her for years, collects the Hallmark ornaments and collects all the series. So when we met, I, I was like, oh, that's cool. I got a lot of Batman stuff. And um, so I, I get all the Hallmark Batman, Star Wars, Star Trek, and what else? They, they got Lord of the Rings this year. Um, and so my wife got annoyed with all the Batman stuff on our Christmas tree. So now I have my own Christmas tree. <laughs> we got two trees and it's got all the Batman on it. The, the um, it's got the star Wars, star Trek. Oh, it's like the complete nerd tree. It's awesome. <laughs> and um, the, um, and it's funny cause we put it in the bedroom. So like at night I'll, I'll press this, the star Wars ones and I'll play the uh, Imperial theme March and everything oh, you know, as I'm going to bed. Uh, but, um, or Yoda, you'll, you'll hear Yoda as I wake up. But, um, yeah, the, the ones this year are really cool. There's the Bat. Um, there's also the Batman one, you said, Dane. And the Catwoman one for this year is really cool. Um, and next year, so I was looking the sneak peek. They've got an Adam West Batman coming out. They've got, um, I think, a Batmo No, the Bat Pod is coming out. And, uh, and Heath Ledger Joker. So I can't wait till next year to have Heath Ledger Joker on my tree. <laughs> Freak everyone out when they see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll I'll put a pencil right next to it or something. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. She collects Hallmark <laughs> um, Christmas ornaments. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I've never heard of that um, collector thing. Collector. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It's a big deal. There's they they have like these premieres that come out. Like they don't all just come out one day. They come out at different times in the year. So like yeah. in the middle of summer, she'll come home with like three hundred dollars worth of ornaments, and they have different series. And um, yeah, if you go on eBay, like they'll start a series, and then you know like people will, will get like the third or fourth one. So then they want to go back and get the first and second. So the they go up in price and um, like one Christmas vacation. There's a series of Christmas vacation. And she didn't buy the first one. It was Uncle Eddie's RV, 
and it was the ugliest thing you've ever seen, and she didn't buy it, and then the second and third one, and now that one's going for like $400 on eBay. It's insane. Uh, but, yeah, but I, now I get almost more than her with all the uh, Star Wars and Star Trek. The Green Lantern came out this year. That one's pretty cool. So, yeah, it's, I've taken over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your house must be like those houses that you see on hoarders. <laughs> yeah. Except it's, it's it's actual stuff. It's it's not trash. Yeah. It's like your comics, yeah, your Batman stuff, whatever. And then her Christmas ornaments, just like all over the place. Yeah, but we're like we're like uh, anal compulsive hoarders because everything's like alphabetized and put in boxes <laughs> and then stacked up. So. <laughs> At least it's organized. <laughs> yeah. Like, whenever they have those shows, like American Pickers or Hoarders, I'm never, like, upset that they have so much stuff. It's just that it's messy. Yeah. I'm like, you need to get that in Tupperware or not Tupperware, those those big, you know, plastic containers and organize it. And, you know, all my comics are alphabetized and in a bag with a board, you know. So it's it's way too many, but they're orderly. Yeah, that's how a lot of my, like, toys that we have are those plastic tubs and, <laughs> like, containers that you mentioned that, had to take them all in storage, though. Yeah. We've got too many. Well, Terrence, at least we've learned you married the right woman. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. The collector. Yeah, she, she got me. Complain that that she have a lot of Batman stuff. Yeah. And she got me uh, this year, too, uh, the, the Comic-Con limited edition um, Batman ornament, which is from The Dark Knight Rises. I'm uh, not that dark. Sorry, The Dark Knight Returns. It's right from Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. That was that was cool. You could only get it at San Diego at the Comic Con, so she had to order it from somebody who went there and sold it. I guess. Oh my God. Yeah. She loves you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Either that or she loves ornaments. One or the other. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I guess we can get into some comic book reviews and. Let's just say first, first up that um, this is we're gonna spoil the crap out of them, right, Tim? Yes, we are. Even if some of us haven't read all the comics, we're still gonna spoil them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I was sick this past week, so I didn't get to check out any of the books. I didn't even pick them up. So um, yeah, I I didn't read any of them. Um, and our rating scale this week is. What was it, Tim? <laughs> Websites that uh, complain about the Dark Knight Rises. Oh, yeah. Sites that complain that the Dark Knight Rises is bad. Um, okay, so for November 21st, we have Nightwing, Nightwing number 14, Batwoman number 14, Catwoman number 14, and Justice League number 14. For November 14th, we have Batman Inc. number 5, Batman Beyond number 10, and Dark Knight number 14. Terrence, did you want to take over this, this section since uh, Tim is, I don't know. Tim is off his game, as always. Okay. Because he, <laughs> so, Terrence, you take over this section. All right, well, I'll start off with uh, Nightwing, number 14. And um, this was a pretty good issue. It was, it was very solid. Um, it was also still a guest writer. Still a guest penciler, um, but the artwork was really good. Um, I first read it on my iPhone, so I didn't notice how um, there was a, f- a few double-page spreads that were pretty good. But the iPhone did do some cool transitions, especially from when it went to um, the nighttime fighting to the daytime at the Haley Amusement. Um, and it, it I'm, I was kind of interested in this um, 
issue to see where they're going with Nightwing. Hopefully he'll get this amusement city off the ground and running it, because I think that would be a really good backdrop for a lot of good stories. You could have a lot of people coming in and out and through this amusement park. Um, and, you know, I'm probably get ridiculous that something crazy happens there every week, but it would be good. And then they kind of wrapped up the um, a few storylines here. One of them they wrapped up was the Lady Shiva, where Nightwing meets her and they have a fight. And I actually felt like Lady Shiva would be a really good um, sort of nemesis for Dick and Nightwing, that it would, she's kind of a good counterpart. And she actually pretty much kind of beats him up in this. She, she yeah. kind of wins the fight. And, yeah, and then kind of like at the end, he's like, well, aren't you going to kill me? And she's like, nah, I'm kind of kind of like a, a cat playing with a mouse kind of. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. And we were talking about last time whether she could still be Cassandra Kane's mother and Dick actually, during the fight, even asked her, like, oh, what, are we the same age? And she kind of gives him a, a sly answer of, like, well, looks can be deceiving kind of thing. So it it's leaved op- left open the possibility that she could – we could see Cassandra Kane and she could still be her mother or um, – And then, hope. of course, <laughs> there's still hope, right? And then, of course, we find out that the penguin is behind everything, and we see the penguin again. Uh, um, and, yeah, he, he is the one who brought Lady Shiva there to kill that guy. Um, and um, I'm still kind of interested in this. Sonya Branch, I, I love seeing her in the comic – because it ties into Scott Snyder's run on Detective. And, you know, with so much being wiped out with the new 52, it, it feels like that is still around and still part of that great run with Scott Snyder and Jock on Detective Comics. And then the ending is cool. Um, sorry to spoil it for you, Dane. But uh, the Joker shows up to lead into the death of the family. And not much really happens, but you see he's in Blackgate Prison and the Rava... Um, who was, you know, grew up with Dick at the circus and then kind of betrayed him there in the, the first story arc. The Joker is going to enlist is her. her. Rhea? Is it Rhea? Is that it? Yeah, uh, Rhea, okay. right? That was yeah. Rhea, okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at it. I, Rhea um, is going to be somehow a part of Death of the Family in the next chapter. So, um you know, overall, I I really enjoyed this. It, it flowed really well. I didn't think there was a lot of filler like the last issue. Um, I I enjoyed the art. Um, it was not too over the top, uh, but not too cartoony. Um, and so I would give this. I'd rank this pretty high. I'd give it four and a half websites that badmouth the Dark Knight Rises. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I thought it was a good issue. Not great. I think it was better than the the first part of the story with Lady Shiva. But um, but it kind of <laughs> lost it for me a little again just when we find out at the end that, gee, guess who's behind this? The Penguin, again. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of took it down a little bit for me. But I kind of enjoyed more of the, like, side story stuff with they're still trying to set up that amusement park in Gotham. And how I like that interaction. You have that little girl who's the next uh, trapeze artist who's going to take over. And like she said, like her, they were told, like, the most families shouldn't join Haley Circus because it's uh, bad things happen, especially to trapeze artists <laughs> with uh, the Graysons and then uh, Ray ending up in jail. So, but then Dick kind of reassures reassures her that nothing's going to happen, but uh, we're just going to keep her safe. I like that moment. But then um, one thing that kind of I'm not going to say it ruined the issue for me, but one thing I just didn't like how Dick was characterized was at the end of his fight for Lady Shiva was that just as she's escaping. 
he shouts out to her, like, wait, can you at least tell me who hired you? Was it the Joker? Was it the Joker? <laughs> it just made him sound real desperate and not just out of character. Cause I don't think Dick would resort to begging and asking for information when he can easily probably get that himself, being Batman's protege as a great detective. I thought that just sounded out of character. This made him look a little too desperate. Yeah. And, but like I said, I did like how it ended. We're getting the death of the Joker tie in the next issue, and it's setting that up. With uh, looks like Joker's going to go after Dick by going after Rhea, who Dick obviously had feelings for in the previous story arc, so that should be good. So, yeah. overall, I thought it was good. Nothing great. Lost a little bit of points for me with the whole Penguin being behind this whole plot again, and then that little line Dick had. So, I'll probably give it three out of five uh, websites that say the Dark Knight Rises is bad. Yeah. Um, the next uh, on the list here is Batwoman 14. Did you want to go first on Batwoman 14? I can't since I haven't read it. So <laughs> oh, okay, so it's just me. So, yeah, I have the power to either tell you guys to get it or not. Um, well, as always, this book was just phenomenal. Um, the thing, it starts off and you've got um, Pegasus right at the beginning, and the thing I love about this book is it just gives you so much more than what you're actually seeing or reading, because it starts right off, and, and Batwoman says, his blood smells of gun smoke and peppers, so strong it makes my eyes water even through my mask, and it's just like, then you can just like, you could smell him, like, the, the good works of art or literature add that, um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie City of Angels with Nicolas Cage, it's, kind of a chick flick but um the the angels can like read people's minds and they like to go to the library and listen to uh people read books and he likes to go he he really likes it when people are reading um Ernest Hemingway books because he says Ernest Hemingway always describes what the food tastes like and I've noticed like good good writers give you that extra sense, you know, they give you the smell of something or the taste of something, and they do that right right there, first line, and Batwoman gives you that and just sets it up. And then later on, she says, she talks about the sound, which normally, you know, you, you can't hear in a comic book, and most writers don't even think of that. She's something about, um, I can find, I can hear, here says, I can hear air whistling through his skull every time he breathes, and it just, just, uh, just sets it up and puts it so far above um, other comics on the market. Um, and what's cool is it's here is Pegasus and there she's like examining his body and th- through her examination she can like piece together how he was so brutally tortured and beaten up. Um, and in school right now I'm actually teaching all about the Greeks and Pegasus and all and Medusa and all that. So it was kinda cool to tie in what I've been talking about, although I don't think I'll be allowed to show him this one. Um and oh, of course Terrence. Yeah. That was gonna <laughs> yeah. be my question. It's like yeah. I'm gonna bust out the that woman I'm forcing. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I could show a piece or two. It's it's pretty cool. I'm gonna have to work it in somehow. Um <laughs> But, you know, the artwork is just, you know, page after page is just something new, something I've never seen before in comics. Um, There's one double-page spread where it has Medusa holding this black heart, and in the heart is the city. And what was really cool is I read it on my iPhone, so it actually didn't show you the full page. It actually showed the first two panels, then pulled back to show the hand holding the art, and it was just an amazing reveal. Um but um, I don't want to say too much about it because I, I don't want to spoil anything for you guys to read it. Um, but just I, I 
couldn't say enough good about the the art. Medusa looks creepy. She looks completely different than anything I've seen in a villain. She looks like she's just glowing. Um, how you can take flat paper and make it glow is pretty amazing. And I thought, you know, some people might think that maybe this story is dragging on a little too long because it's, you know, issue 14 and we still haven't wrapped up things from issue one. But the artwork is just so amazing to look at and just so phenomenal that they could spend 100 issues telling one story and it wouldn't bother me because it's so detailed and so much to see. I mean, there's one scene where they're the, the the panels are the skyscraper buildings it's towards the end where where um well i don't want to tell you the ending but where where there's a monster reborn uh and um it's just like nothing i've ever seen so i would give this without a doubt five out of five websites that badmouth the dark knight rises <laughs> wow. yeah and i'll see it was so funny when you mentioned City of Angels and Nicolas Cage and all. And Tim, Tim just goes, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nicolas Cage, not necessarily the movie. Cause I've never yeah. Seen it, but. You know, the movie is what it is. It's, it's, it's not great. It's not bad. It, but I always kind of, that, that line always stuck with me about how he described Ernest Hemingway, how he always describes the food. And that's things I've looked at for in writing. Like, what do the, how does the author give you that extra, that others don't give and, and hear you know, the smells and the sounds and the way they describe it to then go with the artwork. Just, I mean, it just totally engrosses you in this world of Kate Kane and you're, you're there, you know, the, the rest of reality is gone for a while. So yeah, I just loved it. But um, next on the list is the opposite end of the spectrum. And that would be <laughs> Catwoman 14. And I actually have a lot to say about Catwoman 14. So oh, I'll I let can't you, wait. Yeah, can't I'll, let wait. You, I'll let you go first, Tim. And then when you give it five out of five, I'll tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> I think I'm so privileged to be able to talk about this great book first. Yeah. Oh, man. Where did it begin? <laughs> I mean, I was a little what to say about this book. It just wasn't good. I mean, not even a tie into Death of the Family and having the Joker in it can save it, really. I just, I mean, first of all, on the first page when you open it up, you see Joker standing there with Catwoman, that little boy she rescued out of that chess piece from the last issue, where there was no hint at all that the Joker was the one who set that trap off or that bomb off. And then, because at first, I, when I opened it up, did Joker show up in the last issue? Why is he on the first page all of a sudden? And I opened it, issue 13, I didn't see anything of him there, nothing. So it kind of took me by surprise that right away they're revealing him as the person behind that whole chess fiasco <laughs> from the issue 13. And just, again, it's like pretty much just Joker using these traps or like torture methods for Catwoman just to get her to stop. It's like uh, seeing Batman or having Batman save her all the time just to stay away from Batman. It's just like... Again and again, these things that he's doing to her, which really could only done one of these traps or torture methods that he uses against her. But he said he does, like, five of them. He even walks away in the middle of the issue, like, lets her go. Catwoman does her own thing. He puts a bunch of bat tattoos all over her body, <laughs> which is his way of getting to her. And then, when, like, you think it's done, but then all of a sudden he comes back to, to torture her again. But at the end of that, they just walk away and leave it at that, where they don't agree on what they think of Batman. That's about so, it. So, Tim, the, the the whole chess thing was Joker's yeah. plan? Yeah. Uh, Not a very good one, either. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of wish Anna Senti just 
did the whole Batwoman thing where Selena isn't in the story at all, and the so yeah, I mean, so that uh, what's her what's her name? Um, <laughs> and the Senti just didn't touch this story. Yeah, because I remember we were all saying <laughs> hopefully she can add some new stuff to Catwoman because some stuff Judd Winnick was doing hasn't been all that great, but he's actually making it worse. And just yeah. the dialogue isn't that great. And then, like I said, this is how it, it ends it all. Joker just says to Catwoman, oh, you don't have to be so mean. If you don't want to play with me, why didn't you say so? And he just walks away. Like, dogs are more loyal. They're like, they stay by you. But cats, uh, they're no fun. That's not, that's how it is. They just go on their separate ways. They really didn't do anything else to her. He didn't put her through so, like extreme tortures that would make Batman upset or anything. Because basically his whole thing was just, you know, Stop pursuing Batman. You're weakening him. I mean, that's going to be his method, as Scott Snyder established in most of the tie-ins, but how he did it to Catwoman didn't amount to anything, really. It didn't seem threatening or evil that Scott Snyder's doing with the Joker. We've seen what he's doing to Alfred and, and Gordon in those two issues, and this one just seems like not even the same Joker, really. So, you're, so go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just going to say... Was this issue as confusing as number 13? I wouldn't say as confusing, but I would just say pointless, really. <laughs> and another thing, they had, like, I'm sure it's a lie, because that's what Joker usually does, but they had this flashback sequence of what Joker's childhood could have been like. He was kind of saying it, saying to Catwoman about his rough childhood. And I was saying, if they're going to do this, don't waste it in the Catwoman book. <laughs> it should be something that Snyder handles in his main Batman title. Maybe we will get something like that, but I just thought... They shouldn't use that in this one when it's being poorly written. So, yeah, there's really pretty much nothing redeeming in this book. I mean, the art's okay. It's not my favorite Joker uh, drawings in the Death of the Family tie-ins we've been seeing, but it's not horrible. But, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and give it one out of five Batman websites that badmouth the Dark Knight Rises. So, Tim, how, how close are you to dropping it now? I'm pretty close. <laughs> I have to be. Harvey just wants to keep it just so we could talk about it because <laughs> it's kind of fun <laughs> saying how much it's terrible and the fun we can have about it. But then again, I hate wasting three bucks on it every month. So. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty close. Yeah, I mean, I was a huge fan of the old Catwoman series, the Ed Brubaker run, and then I think it was Will Pfeiffer, and they when Catwoman had the <clears throat> baby and all the um, Sam Bradley, Slam Bradley was on it. For all the, he was all the way from Detective Comics number one, um, and this is just a travesty. I mean, considering that Catwoman was in a movie this year that made over a billion dollars worldwide. And that she's a character that's been around since 1940. She deserves a lot better than this book. Yep. And the the thing was, some of it was actually good. That's the thing that's most frustrating is that some of it was good. Like the Joker's whole premise is like Catwoman's making Batman weak, so knock it off. And then he kind of realizes, oh, you know what would be even better is if you were to lead him on and break his heart. That would make him so bitter and, and strong, and that would be the great dark night that I want to see. But there's just so much in it that just makes no sense. And, I mean, you can write it off and just say, oh, well, it's just a comic book, but then why should you even buy it or read it? And when you read something like Batwoman that treats the material with, you know, such respect and is so grounded in, like, human reality, even though it's dealing with monsters and Greek beings and things like that, it it doesn't, um, you know, break the laws of physics and, and common sense in doing so. You just wonder with this book, I mean, like, Right off, they're they're arguing, and 
Um, Joker allows the boy who's got a, a bomb strapped to him. He lets him go as long as Catwoman will play his game. And then the next thing you know, Catwoman's there. Go to an amusement park, which is so cliche. There's I don't know how many broken down amusement parks in Gotham, but the Joker always goes in every story. He's at a uh, broken down amusement park. Um, and uh, I always thought they should do like a, a Batman where Batman's like, oh, you know, the Joker's loose. He's like, oh, I know right where he is. He always goes to the broken down amusement park. <laughs> and so then he's got Catwoman on one of those like Gravitron rides where she spins around and then next, you know, he's shooting water at her, which I couldn't even tell if it was water because it looks like foam. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Yeah, and then they go to a scene where Catwoman now all of a sudden is in the middle of, like, an ocean. It's just, like, water all around. It looks like she's really in the middle of a giant lake or giant ocean. So it's like, how did she get from that Gravitron machine to this ocean? But then in the next scene, it just says hours later, and she's just laying flat on her back with her clothes all ripped up. So it's just kind of like, well, what just happened there? Where did she go? How did that happen? How did the Joker do that? Then the Joker kisses her, and he has this new outfit for her, which paralyzes her, and they, they do a lot of talking. And some the, the problem is some of the dialogue was actually decent, and some of the things were interesting. Then Catwoman is taken uh, by these gigantic guys and, I guess, stuffed squirrels or stuffed bears or something. And the next thing you know, they're up on a rooftop like in in Gotham but it's he says he had this built it's these gigantic discs that are perched up on top of a, a skyscraper in Gotham all so that the Joker could play strip poker with Catwoman and it's just like well how would you build that like how could you build these discs <laughs> up there like wouldn't that take a while and then if the Joker is up on a disc don't you think everyone in Gotham and every helicopter and every blimp would see that and <laughs> Just come there, like it just, and you could just go, oh, it's just a comic, but then if it's, oh, it's just a comic, you know, why bother even reading it? Um, so, you know, I don't know if it's, like, I I blame the editor on that, because the dialogue and stuff was okay, but the editor should have been like, all right, well, this is a good scene, but, you know, do it in a warehouse, or do it in that abandoned, you know, uh, amusement park. You don't need to be on top of a rooftop for, you know, two pages, and then they're gone, and then Catwoman goes home. And then she has some um, stuff going on. And then this was really confusing. She's sitting up, and it looks like she's sitting on, on top of, like, a skyscraper being built. But then the next thing you see, this big ice truck come barreling down and hits her and knocks her off. So I don't know if that's a roadway, and it's supposed to be the most dangerous roadway ever because it's got a 90-degree turn in it, no guardrails you know, like uh, up on the 80th story of a building or if the Joker somehow drove a truck up a skyscraper or what. And then so she she gets knocked off the building. She throws her her, uh, whip, holds herself right above a gigantic pit of um, jumping piranhas that turn out to be wind-up toys. And so you wonder, if she got up this high, didn't she see that giant pit of piranhas on her way up? It's just it's just kind of like, I just wish there was an editor or somebody who stepped in and said, you know, you, you've got something good here. You need to just make this make a little more sense or make it a little more believable. And I don't know if that was the writer. I don't know if that was the artist. I don't know if it was just poor editing or rushed to get it out. And then, like you said, Tim, by the end of it, he's just kind of like the Joker just walks away. And you feel like, well, how much time and effort and energy did the Joker go into this compared to all these other stories? It just, and I felt, I felt this took away from Death of the Family 
more than it actually added anything to it or added anything to Catwoman. Um, so hopefully things will improve because Catwoman deserves better and hopefully the book won't be canceled before it improves. But I would give this, I'd give it zero out of five, uh, <laughs> websites that bash the Dark Knight Rises. And if it was a different character, if it was Hawkman or something, I might have given it one, but because it's Catwoman and she deserves so much better, I'd give it, um, zero. Yeah. We got two of Batman's greatest villains in this issue. And <laughs> Yeah. Both couldn't even save this issue from being good. I mean, that's how much really this issue is bad. It's the two greatest, two of the greatest Batman villains, and they're written poorly. And this couldn't even make it interesting for a reader. Like you said too, I don't think it takes away anything from Death of the Family for me anyway from the main story, but it just definitely doesn't add anything. It just seems like I said a pointless side story that it's probably not going to amount much to anything. Yeah, I, probably. Probably in the long run, I'll probably just forget about this, and exactly, it won't take yeah. away in the long run. But after reading it, it was just kind of like, ugh, you know. And um, there was one other scene. I, I don't know. I have the page number on it. But right after the Joker does his little flashback to what his youth might have been, and he's petting a cat, they've got Catwoman sitting down, and she's been paralyzed. And the way it's drawn, there is no humanly way possible, unless you cut off your own leg, that Catwoman's leg could be in that position. I, I mean, it's really bad. It's like, it, it, it looks like there's a fake leg lying next to Catwoman. And that's just, I don't know if somebody could have just, and that's not a big deal. Like, you could have fixed that. Somebody somewhere could have just said, yeah, just, just redraw this leg a little bit or don't put the knee right there where it could never actually be, you know, unless you were Plastic Man. But <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, th I, I think I've said this before, but I feel sorry for that that one um, that one person that saw The Dark Knight Rises and wanted to get into the Batman comics, and then they pick up this book. Yeah, yeah. especially if they really like Catwoman in the movie. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Hopefully this is the last tie-in for Depth of the Family with Catwoman, because <laughs> I don't see how much more they can do with that after this issue. Well, you know what? I, I wonder what Scott Snyder thinks about... I mean, he, he he's the architect of this entire Death of the Family story. And I'm just wondering what he thinks about an issue like this. Like, he's like, oh, God. Yeah, I mean, he'll never it's say just, it publicly that it's yeah, terrible or anything, yeah. but yeah, you just wonder what he really thinks. It's like, oh, my God, this is terrible. This is taken away from my big story, stuff like that. But hopefully we can wash her mouth clean with Justice League number 14. Well, or no. It did for me. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, it was, good. It was definitely an improvement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like this issue. It doesn't, Batman's not in it too much, but he does have some great moments, especially at the end. Just basically continuing on the whole uh, Cheetah storyline from issue 13. I was glad the whole super Superman Cheetah thing didn't last too long because he got bit by her and then he turned into like a half man, half Cheetah monster. But that was, they quickly took care of that. I was glad that wasn't the whole issue. I did like the backstory we got for uh, the Cheetah in the New 52, where it's like there's this uh, spirit of like this goddess or essence that goes to different people as like the Cheetah, the Cheetah spirit or whatever. Everyone thinks that, or Wonder Woman thinks that at least that that Cheetah spirit is corrupting uh, the woman who got inhabited by it. But instead, it's the opposite. The woman's always been a criminal and a and a thief who's had like different identities throughout her life, which is kind of cool that. Uh, Batman revealed uh, these different names like Priscilla Rich, Deborah Domain, uh, who are actual cheetahs in the pre-New 52, like actual characters who were the cheetah. 
So they're kind of all tied in with just different aliases of this new one. But then uh, the thing that was pretty cool that I thought anyway at the end of the issue, kind of get more development of Superman and Wonder Woman's relationship. Superman's trying to show her that um, life can be simple. So he takes her to Smallville, has like dinner with her out in the diner, just kind of show her like how the simple way to enjoy life. But then at the end, as they're uh, looks like they're about to share a tender moment and they start flying and kiss each other, we get the reveal on the last page that Batman put a treasure on Superman's cape, and we just get this cool splash page of Batman watching them in the Batcave, kind of like spying him, keeping his tabs on Superman and Wonder Woman. So we'll see how that's all going to tie in if it's going to cause more of a rift between the team, and how it's setting up the next big arc for Justice League with the throne of Atlantis. Which uh, it was revealed at the end that Cheetah kind of wanted herself to be captured by the Justice League to be put in prison because she ends up communicating with Black Manta. So somehow it's going to figure all into his main plan for the whole Dawn of Atlantis storyline. So, yeah, I thought it was a good issue. Batman had some good moments in it. I'd probably give it a three and a half uh, Batman website or websites that Batman out the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, I, I agree pretty much. Um, I like this issue. At first, I was a little. Uh, disappointed because to, to had Superman, Cheetah, and uh, that woman shows up from the tribe, and all she does is blow this horn, and that incapacitates him. And I was like, really, just blowing a horn? That's it? But then, uh, then I also thought about, well, how long, you know, are they gonna milk Superman, Cheetah out before you, they change him back? So I, I was kind of, after the first initial, of like, yeah, I was kind of like, yeah, you know what? I'd rather them just get it over with quick and get him back than draw it out. Yeah, um, it was cool that they did it, though. Like, initially, she did it with her horn, but then Batman had Cyborg take that frequency, and then just, he was the one channeling that to Superman to keep him at bay until they get that potion on him. So it wasn't like, like yeah. how they established it. wasn't just that one horn, okay, he's down, but Cyborg was continually making that noise to keep Superman at bay. Yeah, and then they had to do a little more. So, yeah, um, I love the art. In fact, yeah. I actually, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people disagree with me, but I think I like Tony Daniels' art on Justice League more than uh, Jim Lee's. And Jim wow. Lee's is pretty darn good. But I, you know, I, but it's hard. I, I keep wondering whether or not I feel that way. But I love the way he draws the Flash. Um, there's this blur lightning coming off the Flash that's amazing. And his his women, Wonder Woman, Cheetah, look awesome. Um, and uh, even Aquaman, there's the one scene where they... Um, get Cheetah into the water and Aquaman (laughs) his hand on her throat and all the piranhas and I was like oh this is really cool Um, not to take anything from Jim Lee but you know I think I Jim Lee might even be better but I just kind of like this style a little more I think and it's kind of similar but um, we've seen so much Batman Tony Daniel art it's kind of nice to see him doing some other characters and doing them really well. And, um, you know, his action scenes are always awesome. I mean, no one's ever complained about his art. It's just his writing. Um, the action scenes were great. The flashbacks were great. And even the more, like, slower, tender moments with Superman and Wonder Woman talking and um, were good. And he's good not only with the big splash panels fighting, but some of the littler stuff when Superman and Wonder Woman are in a diner and um, the the woman behind the counter asks if everything's okay, and Superman's like, "Thank you, Mary." And the the look on her face is like, "How did you know my name?" You know that some of that stuff is harder to do. That little subtlety of a, a facial expression than a, a huge splash panel. And um, I'm glad to see they had more Superman and Wonder Woman, and they're kissing, and it wasn't just that one kiss for the cover, and then they'll decide never to do it again. Just yeah. To, 
get people to buy. But I wonder, I don't read Superman anymore, so I don't know if any of this is going on in his book. I know in the Wonder Woman book, which I love, there's yeah. none of this. It's like two completely different Wonder Womans. And the the author of the Wonder Woman book even said that, like, uh, Brian Azzarello, he said, like, I'm just doing my own thing, and they're doing their thing, and that's that. Um, which is a good way to approach it, too, I, I think, anyway, because, yeah, like you said, her comic series has been great. It's probably one of the most consistent New 52 books since it started. Yeah. So, and I'm fine with that, too. And yep. then Batman at the end, he's kind of a little voyeuristic there. It's kind of like a little creepy, but, you know, it's still that's Batman keeping tabs on everything. Exactly. That's why I like it. So, like, he still doesn't fully trust these, like, super-powered beings just yet. <laughs> yeah, and it fit in perfectly because I just watched um, Justice League Doom for the first time this week. I know that's criminal, but um, <laughs> it went on sale, the Blu-ray, for, like, seven ninety nine. so I bought it finally. Um, and uh, it kind of reminded me a lot of Doom with him just, being the ultimate paranoid guy. Um, and the backup story um, was pretty good. Um, it had The parts with Black Adam, I liked a lot. Uh, he was probably one of my favorite parts of the 52 series, which I loved. Um, the stuff with Shazam, uh, Captain Marvel is getting a little old. I was a little kind of done with that. But um, he wasn't in it too much. And the Black Adam stuff is, was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed this issue a lot. Um, so I was I would give it... Either four or four and a half. I'll go with four. Um, four out of five websites that badmouth the Dark Knight Rises. So we did wipe away the bad taste of Catwoman number fourteen. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So for November fourteenth, we have Batman Inc. number five, Batman Beyond number ten, and Batman the Dark Knight number fourteen. Terrence. Well, Batman Inc., number five, I would say since this series has been rebooted, this was probably my favorite issue of um, the the run so far. My problem with the other four issues have been it, they've just felt so out of out of place and, and disjointed with the rest of what's going on with Batman and, and Scott Snyder's run. This issue was... Com- so completely out of place and out of whack that it kind of <laughs> yeah. fit. It, it it took place in the future, and to me, it reminded me of like a really good Elseworlds story. And I I used to love those Elseworlds. I wish they'd come back with those. So for this to not feel like it fit and to be out of whack felt good. Um, Chris Burnham, his art, I I love his art. I actually met him at a, a comic book store. He was signing, and I was he was. Um, sitting at the table signing people's stuff but no one was coming up to him so he was just sitting there drawing and i just watched him draw for forever um and it was pretty cool to see all his stuff yeah and uh, like i was waiting to get him to sign a a book with my stepdaughters and he thought i was doing something else so he kind of like at first i thought he was kind of a jerk i thought he was like blowing me off and ignoring me but it was so cool watching him draw all this stuff that i was just like mesmerized and then finally he's like he realized we were waiting for him, and he was, like, all apologetic and sorry. So he's actually a really nice guy, um, but it was cool to see all his work. Um, so his his art's fantastic. Um, it's set in the future, uh, and kind of like Grant Morrison, some of it I didn't get, but um, and some some stuff is really kind of out there with this gorilla, which I ha- – Tim, have we seen this gorilla before? Was he new, or was he from something else, or um, – he was in the Batman 666 the first time we saw Damien as Batman. Okay, I read that issue. I just don't didn't remember him. Um, and um, I guess 
the thing that I'm most confused about, I mean, the story was really intriguing because you did be feeling like an Elseworlds, you just didn't know what was going to happen. You know, you, you pick up, you know, an issue of Batman, you know, Batman's going to live at the end of it. You know, he's not going to get killed, but in an Elseworlds, he could get killed. You just never knew what was going to happen. And this had that feeling. It had a lot of creepy stuff and, um, especially Barbara Gordon's character was cool in it. She was in the wheelchair, which was kind of like a throwback to Oracle. Um, but it talks about Batman says to Damien that, you know, he cannot become Robin or he can't be Robin anymore because he'll become Batman and they'll have to nuke Gotham City to stop the Joker's contamination as his final revenge. And he says, I, you know, I, I saw this in a dream, which kind of like just didn't seem right at the end there because I, I would think that he saw it when he went to the future in that whole uh, R.I.P. Uh, Batman, um, the return of Bruce Wayne, uh, but considering that final crisis and all that stuff hasn't happened in the new 52, then where did Batman find out about all this stuff? And if it was just a dream, I mean, that seems like a little reaction to have over a dream. Uh, so it, it almost seems like Grant Morrison, again, is trying to wedge this story from pre-52 stuff into the new 52 stuff, and it doesn't quite go, and it doesn't go with what we've read, what we're reading about with Damien you know, in all the other books. But um, aside from that last, you know, little page there, um, it, it was the, all the future stuff I thought was really good. So um, I I guess a lot of this book, I still don't really know how I feel about it till I read some more of, like Grant Morrison's run, you can't read one book. You have to read the whole run to know what the heck's going on. So I guess until I see how a lot of this stuff plays out, I'll... I'll might change my opinion on this issue one way or the other, but I would give it three and a half websites that badmouth the Dark Knight out of five and say that that could change depending on where the rest of Batman Incorporated goes in the future. What do you think about it? Yeah, for me, I mean, I like the Damien Batman future storyline from the previous issues, like the 666 one and then in Batman 700, where uh, we saw that little glimpse of Bat- Damien as Batman again, where he actually uh, finds Terry McGinnis as a as a kid, and then we see later on that he ends up training Terry. It looks like this one is kind of playing off that storyline where the re- that detonation of that Joker toxin over the city. Like, he stopped it in Batman 700, but it looks like in this issue it did get detonated, and the city is pretty much just overrun by the toxin where everyone's just insane. But um, really just the whole continuity thing, just this wondering where everything fits, just really hampers this whole Batman Incorporated run so far. I mean, where does it want to be? Does it want to be in the new 52, or does it want to be in the pre-52? I think it would have been better if they just kept it as, like, a side story or something before the new 52, because it would just make so much more sense. Just even in the future sequences we get, like Barbara in the wheelchair, like you mentioned. If this is the future, then that's supposed to take place in the new 52. Why is she in the wheelchair unless something else happens to her? But I think everyone's assuming that it's because of the Joker and the killing joke. Because it's the same Barbara Gordon we saw in 666 and in Batman 700, where she's in the wheelchair. So this is pretty much an assumption everyone will have, that she's in the wheelchair because of the Joker. And then the whole thing with, like you said, Bruce knowing this future and saw seeing it in the dream. Like, like you said, how is he so certain, and why did he have this dream, or why did he see it? it this, this confuses you more than it does than where you can actually enjoy the story, just because of the whole continuity thing. And we see Dr. Hurt make a return in there, which is kind of cool to see, but 
because I thought he was a pretty cool villain in R.I.P. But then again, is it basing him off the pre-52 or the new 52? How is it going to be? It's like, it's all this thing just kept plaguing my mind as I was reading it. Like, how does this all fit in together? It would have been so much easier if they just put it in as, say, like, established that this is before the new 52. But then it comes back at the end where it looks like all of Batman Incorporated is going to get blown up <laughs> in a building on Crime Alley. And so we'll see what happens there. Because everyone's in there, like Night Squire, Batwing, and some other members. And it's supposed to be like uh, someone gave them, like told them to go there when Batman didn't want them to. So like either Talia's one step ahead of them or someone's tipping them off, tipping Leviathan off or something. So we'll see. But, yeah, I just really couldn't get into it. As cool as it is seeing Damon as Batman, just the whole continuity thing, continuity thing still just bugs me about this title. <laughs> so I'm probably going to give it just... Two and a half uh, websites that badmouth the Dark Knight Rises. Those things just bug me as I read Batman Incorporated. So it has been since the beginning, and until Grant Morrison's run is done on this, it, I, it looked like it, it's going to until he's finished with this whole run. So we'll see how the title does after it gets its new writer and everything, and if it'll fit better into the new 52. But for me right now, it, it just hampers it for me. The next one is Batman Beyond 10. Now, I did not get this one. Um, did you get it, Tim? Yeah, I did. And what did you think yeah. of it? This title, it still continues to be one of my favorite Batman <laughs> comics that hits the shelves every month. I mean, just being a big fan of the DC animated universe, it's just great to see continuation of those stories and those characters. And this one was pretty cool because it wrapped up this long arc they've been having on with Justice League Beyond where they're facing this big old monster that was terrorizing uh, Earth that was summoned by the cult uh, Cobra. And the last issue had a great cliffhanger where in order to stop it, Terry actually had to transform into Etrigan. <laughs> so we actually got to see Etrigan as Terry take down this whole this big old monster. And this, this dialogue was pretty good. They did a good job of doing the whole rhyming thing with Etrigan and telling, pretty much telling Superman off and telling him to keep out of his way as he takes it down. And then for the fans of Superman the Animated Series, since this is pretty much in the same continuity as the whole DCAU, we get to see the death of Jimmy Olsen in this one. <laughs> he was He's an older guy, but he sacrificed himself to save Amanda Waller as the watchtower was crumbling down, and he pushes her out of the way, and he dies. And there's this kind of this pretty good moment between uh, Superman and Amanda Waller as they're at uh, Jimmy's grave, just super, kind of Superman giving a little speech about how good of a friend Jimmy was, and he did this thing that I thought was pretty cool, as he just, that watch Jimmy always has, even though he's dead, Superman upgraded it to have, like, a higher frequency that no matter where he's at, he could, if you ever need me, just press it and I'll hear it. Even though he's dead, it's kind of like that symbolic thing, where no matter where you are, I'll still be there for you, and I improved it so I could even be there for you even though you're gone. I thought that was a great way to conclude that story. But then the second story in the issue of just focusing on Terry as Batman was the Joker is still terrorizing Gotham by committing suicide and causing these bombings all over Gotham City. This issue was really cool because we kind of got to see all the other members of the Bat family team up, like the older Tim Drake, the older Dick Grayson, working together. At first, Dick was kind of shocked that Terry contacted Tim to go back to the Batcave to try to work out this formula for, uh, I don't know if it was a formula or figures, I forget. But he had to go to the Batcave to stop the... Joker's from being mind-controlled, that's what it was. He was trying to come up with, like, an antidote because he found out they were being mind-controlled. So he sent Tim to go back to the Batcave to go fix this formula, and Dick is kind of <laughs> concerned about it. Like, why did you ask Tim after all he's been through and all that? 
So it's just cool to see all the Bat family members work together for the first time in years since they've all pretty much had a rough relationship with Bruce as they got older. But then the, I loved how this issue ended where they're trying to evacuate this hospital that Bruce is in. And as they're evacuating, he doesn't want to go. He wants to stay. He sees uh, Dana and her family there, and he has to stay with them pretty much, out, I guess, for Terry since he's out protecting the city. The least he could do is protect his girlfriend and her family. Then it's revealed that in previous issues that the main Joker leader in the story is Dana's brother, and he's going to finish his family off. And as he goes there, he's, Bruce sees him, and he has this really co- cool line as he sees him. He goes, a Joker, thank God. If I'm going out, I'm taking one of you with me. <laughs> he has this cool <laughs> pose on him, like he's going to take him down. Even as an old man, he's just like he has an IV strapped into him, <laughs> but he's still ready to fight and take on the Joker. It was pretty cool. Then it finished with a Superman Beyond story, which is kind of the weaker one of the three. In this new storyline, Superman is actually working as a firefighter. That's his occupation now. It's Clark Kent. And it's kind of, even though he's a firefighter, he still has to, <laughs> pretty much every time he goes to a fire, he has to save the day as Superman to kind of protect his identity still. And this kind of goes insulting with the firefighters saying, oh, we can't always rely on Superman. We have to be self-reliant and do this ourselves. And they're kind of asking Clark, what do you think about that, Clark? Should we always keep relying on Superman or should we handle this <laughs> ourselves? He's like, well, it's always good to have a helping hand now and then. <laughs> so, yeah, that wasn't the greatest story out of these three, but the first two with Justice League and Batman Beyond continue to be great. I mean, I just love seeing these new stories and interaction with these characters that I love so much from the animated series. And uh, Adam Beach is doing a great job with the writing of it. So I'm going to give this one four, four and a half out of five Batman websites that Batman The Dark Knight Rises. Really enjoyed it. Now, do you um, buy them weekly digitally as well and then get the, the paper copy, or do you just get them digital or just paper copy? Uh, I've just been getting them the paper copy. That's how I have been. But okay. sometimes it gets to a point where I want to continue reading it. I'd have to just to buy it again <laughs> yeah. first and then just get it all when it comes out as a paper comic. But Yeah, I'm so torn with going digital or staying paper, and I, I love the paper ones, but digital is so more convenient. And now they have digital, they'll have the monthly issues and the, the, the weekly issues, the 99-cent ones, on the Kindle Fire. So now I don't know whether to get it on Comicology or Kindle Fire. or. <laughs> <laughs> but I love having it on my iPhone where I can just pull it out at any time and just start reading comics. That's, yep. that's pretty awesome. Yeah. But um, then last on the, of the new books was Batman the Dark Knight number 14. And um, this is the one I know uh, Dane didn't read it, and there's that question of did that little girl make it or did she die? <laughs> so I'm not going to spoil that. Dane's going to have to read that for himself. But I... Uh, just spoil it. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't really care either way. You know, okay, well, she makes it out. She uh, bat- It starts out Batman and, and Scarecrow are fighting, and um, he's getting free, and it causes... Um, I guess Scarecrow actually sets a bomb in the building or the house that he's in. Uh, and But before he leaves for it to blow up, he actually goes and gets the girl and saves her. Um, so I still really don't know why Scarecrow really had her. Was she just a random victim or was there something, you know, uh, about her and why she was so forgiving and so caring about him, uh, even though he was basically torturing her but um the the house blows up um batman makes it out and is saved pretty much by robin which i it's kind of weird it 
I, I don't know how much is the editing, and it, it's the same assistant editor as Catwoman, but I don't know how much is the editor, the assistant editor, or what, but there's a huge mistake in the, the digital copy, um, which is what I have, where they have Robin's costume is backwards. His R is backwards. It's on the wrong side, and it's backwards, and then the R on his belt is backwards, and I don't know if they flip the art, or I doubt he would draw it backwards, or if this was some reason that we're not seeing. Um, but Tim, did you get it paper or did you get it digital? No, I got a paper. Is it backwards in the paper copy as well? Or? It is, and I didn't notice that until you just brought it to my attention. But yeah, okay. it is backwards. Because <laughs> at first I thought, well, is this part of Scarecrow's hallucinations, or you know, is it the fear gas? But then they never bring it back up again. So I just don't know if they 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 flip the artwork or somehow and forgot about the letter. Um, but then Bruce kind of recovers, and then the Scarecrow, guess who the Scarecrow goes to see, Dane? I know who's exactly who it is. It's the Anne Nascenti Catwoman. Oh, no. It's actually <laughs> the Penguin. I couldn't believe it. The next scene, it's uh, Iceberg Casino. I'm like, really? Again yeah. here? Um, but Finch draws him different than anybody else, and at first I didn't like At first I was kind of like, oh, what is this? And then I kind of look, I'm like, Actually, I kind of like this. Like, it grew on me, and I, he kind of re- draws him real creepy and real stylized. Um, and um, you kind of don't get what's going on. Uh, they're talking about a deal, and you're not really sure what it is. And then the big reveal at the end is that Penguin built for him a giant Zeppelin that is going to release fear gas all over the Gotham City Um at Christmas time, here it looks like the Christmas parade, kind of a little reminiscent of the Joker in Batman '89 with the um, balloons releasing all the gas, uh, and it ends with this creepy image of this guy dressed like Santa Claus, like eating some other guy's arm, and a girl, a woman clawing her face, and her face is being ripped open. A guy falling from a building, another guy about to throw a shopping cart at people. So um, it's definitely. Um, going to be interesting what happens in the next issue. But considering where this book had been and what it is now, I would I would give this four or even five um, websites that badmouth The Dark Knight Rises. Um, overall, just as a regular issue, I'd probably give it like a three and a half just based on just a normal issue. But considering where this book was a few months ago, and um, I was actually organizing my comics today and putting some away, and we were talking last week about like characters we wanted to see Scott Snyder do, and then I saw the, the cover of the White Rabbit with her, and I was like, oh yeah, that's one I don't want to see Scott <laughs> Snyder ever do. So uh, considering all that, uh, and considering that we're gonna have a new creative team take over, I think um, this book's headed in definitely in the right direction. But uh, what did you think about it, Tim? Yeah, right. I really enjoyed it overall, but I just love the opening sequence and the fight that Batman and Scarecrow have. Again, David Finch's art. I love his scarecrow design. It just made him really look more twisted and creepy in this fight. I just love Batman's dialogue at the very beginning where he tells him, you want something to see, fear scarecrow? Then he just yells at him, fear me! And it just, like, yeah. pushes him to the ground. It just, it just kind of reminded me, like, we're talking about with Batman Begins where he says, swear to me. It was, almost has that same effect to it, but this one was pretty more, more brutal to <laughs> what he does to scarecrow. Then he even shoots uh, his grappling rope through the scarecrow's jaw and <laughs> shoots him up to the ceiling. I was like, I was drawing, like, man, it looks like he shot him through the through the neck and through his head. <laughs> but it's, it's later revealed that was just like through his jaw or his mouth. But that was a pretty brutal fight. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I, I did like how uh, Scarecrow 
and did end up saving that little girl. That little girl. I mean, we always kind of knew that he had like some sort of soft spot for her, where he it was bad that he was keeping her there and doing experiments with her. But he did have these conversations with with her. It was kind of like where he was her friend in a strange way, and he did care about her in some strange way, and he actually does by showing getting by showing him getting her out of there. I love that art of that panel that shows his eyes as he's carrying her. This has like this sad look on his face, or like regret look on his face that you wouldn't nor- normally see the scarecrow in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he even tells her like to hurry up and get out of there as the building explodes, showing that he does have some compassion for this little girl at least. So like you said, Terrence, kind of curious to see how, why this is the case. If she, there's some special reason why he cares about this kid over the other ones he's kidnapped. So we'll see in the next issue, hopefully. But um, I th- th- thought it kind of got a little weak of an ending, where, again, it's like I thought the same thing when I saw the iceberg land. Oh, great. Penguin's behind all this again. But <laughs> uh, it's just that he's providing them with a blimp, so I'm okay with that, <laughs> as long as it's not his whole scheme or anything. And it, since Greg Hurwitz did write the Pen- Penguin Pain and Prejudice miniseries, we did get to see a little bit of that penguin in this sequence, because he's mad at one of his thugs, I guess, saying that um, they re- misplaced one of his mother's portraits, and he's threatening, them, threatening him with all the stuff he's going to do to his family, like, do you know what's going to do to, uh, or he says, do you know what else has been misplaced? Misplaced your dog, the deed to your house, your wife's insulin, your wife's insulin, your dog. So it's kind of that same penguin we saw in Pain and Prejudice, which I like because that was a great portrayal of the penguin, I thought. But I just didn't like how the end sequence is your typical scarecrow plan where he's going to spray his fear toxin all over Gotham City, which is kind of going back to what we were talking about in the last episode, where it's kind of that, gimmicky quality that the Scarecrow has where he just uses his fear toxin on people. That's his only main threat. And it's kind of like, yeah, I've been there, done that before with Scarecrow using his fear toxin on the whole city. I mean, we'll see how it all wraps up in the next issue. But um, I just thought it could have ended on a different note than just having the typical Scarecrow using his toxin all over the city. I mean, it looks pretty brutal, as like you said, describing all those people and what they're doing to each other and other people out in the streets of Gotham, but it just sent to me, like, oh, it's a typical Scarecrow plan. One before in the previous issues where we're getting something different. So, but overall, I thought this issue was great. The beginning was really awesome. So I'm probably going to give it four websites that bad mouth the Dark Knight rises out of five. I thought it was really good. And, and you know, one other thing, I, I forgot to mention this, too. It, it's kind of weird because I read this right after um, Batman Incorporated where they're saying, Damien, you can never be Robin. And in this issue, Robin basically saves Batman yeah. and there. And then there's this touching scene where Bruce wakes up in bed and he's like, Damien, you noticed I was gone. And he's like, of course, Alfred and I were worried. We were tearing our, our hair out. And then he grabs his hand and Bruce says, glad you were there, Damien. And then Damien looks away with a tear. You know, it's just so different than, you know, yeah. what I was reading 15 minutes earlier where he's like, nope, you can never be Robin. Sorry. So, yeah. Yeah. That goes to the whole point we're talking about the Batman and corporate, like what, universe doesn't want to be in because it's not fitting in the new 52. <laughs> you guys remember that one scene in um, uh, Penguin Paid in Prejudice where uh, Penguin and his girlfriend are running away from Batman and then the girlfriend accidentally touches his face or something? Yeah. And then um, Penguin just brings out his knife and just automatically stabs her and then <laughs> yeah. her, her, her dying um, words are, you're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's all that sad. Was so- yeah, still the best Penguin story we're probably going to see in a while, <laughs> even with all his appearances. All right, well, um, I guess that's it, unless there's anything else you guys want to talk about, Tim? I think we got most of it covered. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, oh, I will say, Terrence, uh, anything else you want to talk about? I was just saying, I'm going to have to leave my computer to go buy the Dark Knight Rises Blu-ray. So <laughs> I, will, I will leave the count. I'll have two countdowns going, one to the next podcast and one to the Dark Knight Rises. Well, make sure you get right back to your computer once you get it. <laughs> or I can just get it digitally, then I don't have to leave. So maybe I'll do that, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's it for this week. Um, you can check out our host site, The Batman Universe, at thebatmanuniverse.net. On Facebook at facebook.com slash the Batman Universe, or on Twitter, and the Twitter handle is at Batman Universe. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, as well as all of the other Batman Universe podcasts, and you can rate and review all of us. Um, and Dustin's on all of them, right, Tim? Yes, oh, wait, Tim, Tim, <laughs> Tim, I forgot to tell you that I don't think we should call Dustin a droid or um, a clone anymore. <laughs> you guys want to see figured out the mystery? <laughs> no, 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 no. The thing is, is look at the clones. The clones are cheap. Um, they're a cheap army force, right? Well, I don't want to say cheap. <laughs> well, I mean, the, like ten million can get blown off the earth, off the face of the earth, and nobody will miss them, and they can just make ten million more, right? Yeah, but yeah, you gotta watch the Clone Wars, and you won't have that opinion anymore. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, but but the 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 droids are exactly the same. Yes. So, so we need to think of a better thing for Dustin. <laughs> Other than a droid or a clone. Yeah. You're, you ever see like uh, Austin Powers? They had the fembots. It'd be like a pod bot <laughs> or a bat pod bot. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it has to be Star Wars related for some reason. Even though we're a Batman Universe podcast. <laughs> Tim. Your depth of knowledge must not fail you now. So not the obvious Jedi or Sith or... <laughs> you know what? Let's just call him Darth Maul. <laughs> Darth Maul? How does that sound? Yeah. How does Darth Maul sound? <laughs> I don't see why or how Darth Maul is, makes it be on every podcast, but... <laughs> <laughs> He's a Sith Lord. <laughs> uh uh, yeah, that was so, a stretch so, for that one. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a stretch. You know? Come on, Tim. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how it relates. Well, they they had those pod racers, right? They called pod racers in episode uh, one, or were they called pod racers? Yeah, they're pod racers. But how does that enable them to be on some well, podcast? A podcast, <laughs> pod racer. I don't know. <laughs> Dane's trying too hard to stretch it out. From yeah, he's a clones and droids makes more sense to be on all the No, no, but you see, clones and droids are expendables. Just call them a scruffy-looking nerf herder. And, yeah. <laughs> well, Jedi's I guess having strong force abilities can make you uh, be on a lot of podcasts or something. <laughs> okay, he's a Jedi knight. Or no, he's a Jedi master. It's, he has a high midi-chlorian count, which allows him <laughs> yeah, to be on the podcast. he's a high midi-chlorian count. That's why he's on all of these podcasts, you see? It's because of his high midi-chlorian count. Um... And he can trick his wife, because, you know, with the Jedi mind trick, you know, this is not the yeah. podcast that I'm recording. You you are the one who needs to change the baby's diaper. So. <laughs> That's why he's a Jedi, you see. Oh, that fits perfectly, Tim. Why didn't you just say that in the first place? <laughs> I thought you were looking for something more obscure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Dustin's on all of the Batman Universe podcasts. He's a Jedi master. Uh, he has a high metachlorine count and stuff like that. And if you can't get enough Stella love in your life, you can go to batgirltooracle.net. You can listen to her podcast and all that stuff. Um, but we have an email that Terrence set up. Uh, Terrence, did you want to talk about that and stuff like that? 
Sure. If you have any questions or comments or want to complain about uh, us or tell us how brilliant we are, you can email us at batfans27 at gmail.com. So batfans27 at gmail.com. The 27 is for Detective Comics 27 and because someone else has batfans at gmail.com. And I don't know if they're a Batman fan or just like the animal bats, but um, <laughs> don't email him. Email us. <laughs> yeah, finally. It took us forever to get an email address, but all it took was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and finally, I want to thank Terrence's stepdaughters and his wife for listening to the podcast. What are their names, Terrence? Well, we got uh, my wife is Natalie, and then the daughters are Allison and Danielle. And uh, my friend Dan listened to it. He doesn't even like Batman, and he said it was hilarious. (laughs) And then we have somebody named Alex who who leaves us comments for every Q1. So uh, Alex is – I told my wife, I said, you know, Alex could be a boy's name or a girl's name, so it's probably Alexis. She's probably like a Victoria's Secrets model. She listens to us. Between fashion shoots, you know, and she just looked at me and just said, you're deranged. So, but Alex, boy or girl, we appreciate your comments and listening. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, uh, okay. That is, so, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I thought maybe Alex might be Tim just like posting under a different name. <laughs> than like, and lots of fans. Yeah. Quiet, Terrence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So, Natalie, Allison. Danielle, Danny, Alex, or Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I thank you for listening. <laughs> but yes, thank you. Thank you for listening. Bye, everybody. We'll be back here in two weeks. Don't worry about it. Okay? We'll be back here. Don't don't fret. See ya. So long. <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh. all, that's all I got after every time I share everyone. Just, goodbye. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll see you later. I don't even know why I did that. I don't even know what started it. I know you did it one podcast. You kept doing it. <laughs> Same thing with, with the whole Dustin thing. Like, why did I keep on doing that? You don't know uh, why I'm inventing. Yeah. Let's name the five people that listen to our podcast. I miss her skin on mine. Well, it's a secret I'll take with me to my grave